This hard. Movies. Hello, and welcome. Wow. To is we- this is this a pop culture podcast or is this like the Lego Movie Three? <laughs> the uh, I guess it could be because I'm feeling about it. I'm feeling a little hyper and random now that I heard that song. We bought a mic, a pop culture podcast here with. <laughs> The big one, the best films of 2020. I am Ernest. I am Hunter Temporal Pincer Mobley. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that that's on your list, but I'm Drew. All right. Well, it's number zero because it doesn't belong. It is both number one on my list and I have not seen it yet. <laughs> you You will have seen it three months ago. You're going to, to, to yeah. have seen it yeah. three months ago. You know who the producer of this podcast is? It's actually us in the future. Dude. That's our boss. That's, that's some shit that make you think, man. Like shit. I hear that shit. I'm the protagonist. I hear that shit. I feel random. Can I Can I be honest, guys? We're drinking truly lemonade today. I have something to tell you guys. Um, I don't like lemonade. Hmm. God damn it, Hunter. I don't care. Okay. This is what I got and you're going to drink it. I know I'm going to, I'm going to end up drinking a third of these. Jesus. I think it's pretty yummy. It's very fucking sweet. Hunter just doesn't like, he doesn't like citrus. I like some citrus. You're running, you're, you're rolling back your initial comments about citrus and you know it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you always see me sucking on a lemon wedge. I, I wish we could record like everything pod. that you ever say, not just on the pod. So I could just have like an archive <laughs> John Wilson style and just play back <laughs> you contradicting yourself. I don't know. We could put something like that together. I'll put an intern on it. Okay, cool. We're, you know, we're moving up this year. Our interns are actually us from the past. <laughs> Woof. Movie time, baby. Let's get it. We have our lists, our top tens of 2020. Um, a year that was almost totally a wash in terms <laughs> of movies. So I thought that going through the year, and I think that's because uh of the closing of movie theaters and everything else, and because we were uh pessimistic for what movies were. But I'll be honest, I really fucking love the movies that came out. Whenever I was making my list, I was yeah. like, oh, I'd In be the happy 11th with, hour. I'd be happy with any movie going up to number 20, really like 25, 26 on my list being in my top 10. Like it is a very deep mm, year. It's deep. It's, it's very deep. I think I mean, I think that this year will stand out. In that it doesn't have a parasite, but then again, uh, almost no years have a parasite or something like that. I think it's because people, critics are more down on this year because 2019 was such an exceptional year in movies and because of just what the state of the world is right now. Yeah, I mean, so much of what we're excited for is now coming out this year, 2021. So that'll be an interesting comparison of like, 
the things that might end up on the list next year that uh, could have been strong contenders for this year. But I think that a lot of the stuff that we'll talk about on this episode is stuff that um, maybe would have been overshadowed or kind of buried under a stronger year where things didn't get pushed out of out of the calendar. So it's interesting how, how things work out. You know, things still did come out and the grand majority of them were things that are just this more, for lack of a better term, kind of lower tier of film that isn't like the big and loud blockbusters or or award starlings or things that are kind of like vying for our attention all the time. A lot of the stuff that came out was kind of more under the radar and it was a really good change of pace, mm-hmm. I think. It brought us like kind of more smaller scale stories or or smaller scale approaches. Mm-hmm. Tenet. Um, <laughs> I well, I was gonna say I don't know how your guys' list shook out, but I think I have one movie on my list that cost more than ten million dollars to make. Um, it's shaky because it's hard to tell for budgets, especially for yeah. streaming things. But just kind of based on the look of them, I'm assuming they couldn't have cost more than ten to fifteen million dollars to make. And I have one of those movies on my entire top ten. There's so many indie stories, and I know we were talking off mic about this about how a lot of these smaller stories are moving to television. And this is kind of a year that it does give me hope for what the future of movies are. If we do have this swift dichotomy, this uh, very huge chasm between big blockbusters and smaller indie A24 type darlings that will either go to a streaming service or go to VOD. It makes me hopeful that these movies are still being made. Well, we saw a lot of these on our televisions. Yeah. Is the thing. It's, Almost all of them. It's 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 a it's a strange thing that's happening where more than ever before this year, the environment, the 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 surroundings, the situation in which I was watching these movies played such a bigger role in my appreciation and enjoyment of them that's very true um also a lot of movies that came out toward the end of the year were even harder to find than they typically are like the smaller movies because uh like the the final fail safe if you don't have like screeners or whatever is like our art house indie theater in town and maybe it was showing these things i don't want to go to it to be frank uh hunter Hunter did go see one uh, i saw but that was like the only one um I'm going to rip the bandit off now. Uh, I had today blocked off to watch three different movies that were all like some of the heaviest hitters on everyone's year end list. They'll be in you guys's list. You'll talk about it plenty. I'm going to leave when you talk about two they, of them. They, I didn't, might, they might not be. I didn't get to watch two uh, consensus top like five movies of the year uh, because my internet was just too spotty today and well, I, I couldn't get it. And I was like not enjoying watching them because it kept lagging so hard. So I just turned them off. I mean, we have to credit adam friend of the podcast for sharing for giving us some screener links to see some of these movies because you're right there are some big movies and we i mean i don't we'll give basic plot some summaries and how we generally feel about some of these movies but i don't want to talk too much about some of these films just because the vast 99 percent of audiences have not had a chance to see these movies yet well yeah on that note i'll i'll hold say- on let me let me rip the bandaid off fully. I didn't watch Nomadland. I didn't watch Never Rarely Sometimes Always. I didn't watch American Utopia. 
Okay, so go ahead. No, you guys are so, staring daggers at no, me right no. now. You're literally pointing at the door. I, al- I also didn't watch Nomad Land. Oh, okay. Because it's coming out soon. Mm. People are going to get to see it for real. It's not this mysterious awards darling that only a select few have seen. So I stopped myself from clicking on that screen, especially because I, I watched the first couple minutes and. I was like, I, I gotta give this more than this. Not the highest qual screener yeah. link. You gotta, I, this, you gotta watch it in 4K and stuff. Or like a 4K streamer. Maybe risk the theater. I might. I've Honestly, heard such good yeah. things about the movie. Yeah. That I might like, you know, brace it and mask and, up. Go to like a yep. Tuesday 2 p.m. showing of this movie. I'm 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 seriously considering it. Um, because I feel so good about the 10 that I picked that I didn't want to knock one off mm-hmm. because I knew that, uh, that, that, that would, uh, that, that would have a, a guaranteed spot on the list. Right. So I felt, I felt okay with leaving it off, you know? Um, well, if I knew, if I knew that I could just say all that, I would have said that instead of saying <laughs> my spectrum internet is bad. Shit. No, blame Shot it, spectrum. Blame it on fucking spectrum. Those pieces of shit. Fucking monopolizing <laughs> our shit. I was really, I was like mad today. I was extremely angry. No, nah, you, you gotta, you gotta let some of these things go. Sometimes, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's the way it is. And I think that, I think that when it comes down to these movies that aren't accessible to the general public, I think it's okay to compile a list on this episode of things that people can watch right now. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe people will be listening to it by the time Nomad is available on VOD and Hulu. But at the time of this recording, it's not. So I wanted to to, to keep my stuff for the most part pretty much entirely to, to things that anybody can watch that yeah. you don't have to. You don't have to have a, a secret screener link or 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 festival uh, invitation or anything. Uh, very kind of Adam to provide. And there were some on that screener list that I did watch. I did give my time to, um, but yeah, not the big hitters because I, I want to devote the, the time and the, we could do a whole episode on no man land when it mm-hmm. comes out, you know? So, but I, I'm sure we'll talk about it more later. So any other thoughts on the state of movies before we uh let's just send it let's yeah. do it i have more thoughts as we'll kind of get into there's themes that you can see what i was clinging to this year in movies uh and uh yeah we'll get into that as we form our list i will start with my number 10 i'm i, I got some i got some some uh curveballs tonight i hope me too it's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I had a chance to see this. It didn't quite make my list. It's on but... Netflix. Um, kind of came and went a little bit, as a lot of Netflix movies do. Directed by George C. Wolfe, adapted from the August Wilson play. Uh, pretty much verbatim adapted. It, it mm-hmm. essentially is a filmed play. Uh, but the camera is right up against the faces of these actors. And my God, Chadwick Boseman yes. leaves mm. it all on the field. Yeah, Holy this... fuck, what a send off. It is heartbreaking and, and tragic to know that it's his final role because it's so different 
than anything else we'd seen him in before. And it just like points to a part of his career that we'll never get because he's gone. But it is incredible. He's going to win the Oscar for this. He has to. It is so good. And it's not it's not just a full sympathy Oscar because this is a very I was a little bit hesitant going into it because everybody's like, well, Chadwick's got it in the bag because, you know, unfortunately he passed away. But it's, it's like, an amazing okay, performance. But it's the best performance that he's ever given to date. So yeah. like it's it's unbelievable. I uh, I really liked this movie. There was a little bit of a bar that I had or not a bar. Um a hump that I couldn't quite get over while watching this movie. And I think it's that it felt so much like a stage play. And I don't mean that straight up. It just is. It just is. And that's separate from another movie, which I don't know if we'll get into talking about uh, one night in Miami, which does feel more like I didn't get a a chance to see that one. Okay. So I, it's, I kind of want to pair those two movies together, like in my head, because I think one night in Miami is more successful at adapting a stage play because it feels more like a movie while still keeping all of the theatrics of an actual stage play. I'm sure if I was saw that performance live on stage, it would have been one of the most gripping things I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, even still the performances are enough to carry this movie. Viola Davis. Viola Davis is mm. awesome. Idris Elba is really great. In this Coleman movie. Domingo. Yeah. Coleman our guy yeah. from euphoria. Yeah. I, I still really, really admire and respect this movie a lot. I found it exceptional. I I love watching these actors act. I thought it was over the top and theatrical in the best ways. And it's a it's a largely true story about this like 1920s singer who is is struggling with uh balancing, you know, racism and her own status as a successful musician. Like she has this this heft and this gravitas and this intensity that gets kind of uh, cut down a little bit by the uh, white supremacy of it all. And, and the movie manages to be entertaining and, and, and watchable and thrilling, and heartbreaking. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. That's my number 10. So let's keep it going around, Hunter. Your number 10. My number 10 is one that we might have to wait on. Um, it just came out on VOD, uh, but I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see it yet or not. It is Promising Young Woman. Mm-mm. It did not make my list, unfortunately. Me neither. I didn't see I, it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I did um, see it. I did see you it. You did see it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Emerald Fennell uh, just directs the fucking hell out of this movie, and Carrie Mulligan gives probably one of my favorite performances of the year. I think that she is just completely captivating what this movie has to say about the female experience in 2020. Well, 2021, not including the pandemic aspect of it is really heartbreaking. Like every guy in this movie is either oblivious or a complete fucking asshole, horrible human being. And but the casting is genius. Oh, the casting All these is nice genius. Boys. Bo Burnham is in here, and uh, <laughs> I, wow. I gotta say, it was tall a, man I, Bo Burnham. I is, was a little disappointed. I I think he's he he could do more than what that, he does in this. I role. think that the problem is not even in him. I think that it's that Carrie Mulligan is giving such an outstanding performance, and he is acting alongside her, and it he just can't quite keep up because he isn't that caliber of an actor. Um, 
This is, I'll say it now, this is the only movie that I saw in theaters that's in my top 10. And I wish I could have seen it in a theater. This is one of those where I was like, damn, I, I wish it, I wasn't seeing this on a shitty it stream. It was playing at the, at the NZ in our local art house theater. And I went to a late night showing on like a Wednesday. Cause I was like, ah, oh, there'll be nobody there. And guess what? There was nobody there. So my jaw was on the floor throughout this movie. I don't want to give away the, what exactly uh, happens in this movie in the course that, she goes down. It's pretty much it's about a woman who is haunted by this tragedy in her past and inflicts some of her anger and her revenge onto just predatory men that she finds in different bars and clubs. And the movie kind of jumps off from that point. And it is absolutely phenomenal. Like I said, it is on VOD now. And I think that this is highly, highly worthy of uh being watched by anyone and everyone i love the direct the directing the mm-hmm. the style the editing like it's it has like this yeah i mean this is Fennell's first feature-length film and yeah. it's like wow this is it's one of those things where you see this movie and you're like holy shit what is this person going to yeah be there's blessed? an energy to it mm-hmm. um promising young woman owner's number 10 drew you're number 10 i want to talk about tenet Yes. Yeah. I think at this point we already have talked about Tenet. We, we saw this together. We had a blast. I know. Yeah. We the three of us. It was my first time watching it. Y'all's second uh, we, the other day, and I think at this point it is it is fully impossible to watch this with a cleared head. You know, watch this without paying any mind to um, the rhetoric around it, whether that be from Chris Nolan, which. Uh, is not helpful to the movie or from uh viewers which is also not helpful to the movie like every, all the noise around this movie is not good um and i think the movie is good uh we had a blast i think there needs to be a shift a general shift in the way people are processing this fucking movie um because christopher nolan doesn't know what kind of movie he made he doesn't know and that's okay it's hilarious when this movie ends after the insanity you just saw and it just says written and directed by christopher nolan (laughs) so this is this is the issue is it it's so easy to hate on this because christopher nolan clearly thinks he did some shit here he you know what i mean he really really thinks that he swung for the fences every movie he makes he thinks he's making the greatest movie ever made um, and that is annoying and it's especially annoying because he never has <laughs> made the greatest movie ever made. He is not on that tier of filmmaking uh, overall. He, But in several categories of filmmaking, he is the best of the best. He's as good as it gets. And in most of the other ones, he's pretty good. Uh, it's just it's hard to ignore what he says about his own films and. I was fully willing to ignore all of that because after watching Interstellar and like re rewatching Inception and the Batman movies and the prestige and Memento, you just have to ignore certain things when you watch his movies. He thinks that it, he makes the smartest movies ever. He actually makes dumb movies. This movie is a dumb action movie. Yeah. And I loved watching it as a dumb action movie. Yeah. Like what is wrong with that? I think that the Christopher Nolan of this movie is the worst part about this movie. Which the, need, the need to explain everything. Yes. If they just went all in and were like bullets are flying backwards, then I think that it is a better movie. But instead, I mean, 
It did help a little bit on a rewatch. Of course. But it was so much better on the rewatch, yeah. I'd say it was a little bit better for me. I wouldn't go so far as say it was so much better. I still have very deep fundamental flaws with the filmmaking yeah, of this but it, movie. Yeah, but you, you got it. it you just get I swept it, up I in it. I let it wash over me It's silliness. I did like appreciate yeah. I mean, the action set pieces like, are fucking incredible. It's just he, Nolan is held to an unfair standard and it's his own fault. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is a fucking two hundred million dollar. Yeah, movie. he holds himself to these. Well, things. no, that's what I just. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he, it's his fault that he's held to the standard of this better be the best movie ever. But can we not just accept that it's not and it's still good? It's the most expensive original movie ever made. Exactly, bonk. So no one is making shit like this. Exactly. No one is allowed to except for him. <laughs> Like he is the only one who could have made this movie. So like to say that the Christopher Nolan is the worst part of the movie, it's also the best part because it's all Christopher Nolan. Yeah. It's like, shit you've never he, seen before. He conceived and executed every facet of this movie. Um, and I think there are a lot of positives here because he's really good at certain things. He's great at action direction and there's he's improved actually. Mm-hmm. Like he's gotten better at directing action in like a sensible way. The logistics of how it's happening get a little bit nonsensy in this movie. But I I hate to hear the dialogue around this movie when if you were to compare it to like Mission Impossible Fallout, because that's a similarly like fully absurd movie with a so much exposition in it. Yeah. Uh, but that movie knows. Yeah. <laughs> and so people are a lot more forgiving and like willing to because that movie knows that it's just fun and stupid. But what if you just but, were to watch this movie as if it were fun and stupid, even if Chris Nolan doesn't know that? Here's here's the big difference. When you're watching Mission Impossible Fallout, you don't have to use the part of your brain where you're trying to explain the movie and try to think about it in a logical way. What Tenet does is it asks you to to do that. And you I think it's impossible for you to like have the emotional part turned on as the at the same time as the logistical part of your brain. You can't do. You got to pick one. You that, I mean, Chris both. Nolan certainly picked one. <laughs> but that's the problem with in Tenet, his in his entire that, life is that it would be better. Tenet would be better if you weren't having to explain the movie to yourself. If you could just feel it, like they say in the movie. I know. Uh, I think the more that you just do that, the better it gets. Like you, well, like you said, yes. rewatch. You you'd been over the rules. You know. You understand that you're not going to understand it. Yeah. So you just go with it. And it's so exactly better. It's also it's just there are so many things that no one even talks about with Chris Nolan because it's just taken as a given. But uh, like I said, he's gotten a lot better at action direction. There's some magnificent sequences. In oh, this movie. Yeah. Like just like brilliant looking. But also uh, because it's him, he's really good at making the whole movie look like that. The entire movie, no, like two people are talking and it looks just stunning and no one will ever, ever discuss this fact. It doesn't matter to most people. He's I, he's good at back and forth shot reverse shot conversations at this point because he's just technically talented. I was saying at one point whenever we were watching the movie, like, do you think Michael Caine has any idea what the words are that's even coming up? Because no. he shows up for literally one scene and does the Michael Caine thing where he just starts explaining. Yeah, and he's just there. And he's just like explaining time and inverse motion. And I'm like, did they just like give Michael Caine just like, here's the script. Just read these words in this order. He's and not he's like, explaining time. He's talking about the Forge painting. Um, I don't know. 
I, I don't know, man. It's I, I've seen this movie. Ludwig Göransson, yes, <laughs> uh, comes in yeah. with a better uh, Hans Zimmer score than Zimmer has done in years. Re- beats in reverse, dude. It, yeah, it's it's more experimental in general. It relies more on identifiable instruments rather than just like a big sound, like a big a big coalescing of like all of the instruments. Um, and it's better for that. Like it's okay if you just play a single synth and people know you're playing a synth. That's fine <laughs> as long as it's effective. It's it's ridiculously good. The score, um, <laughs> just like Inception, but like even less effective than that uh the emotional core is awful of this movie it's like it's that's the worst part to me i mean inception has an emotional core. yeah i think this does it's like it's stupid in inception but it works a lot better It, it they they give more time to it uh but emily blunt it reminded me more of looper because i think that looper it's not Emily Blunt. It's Debicki. I'm thinking of Emily Blunt in Looper yeah. because those characters to me are very comparable. It's like our protagonists are in this really, really heady, like over expositional uh, time travel situation. And then they just come upon a woman who has a, a son. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, Everybody that's exactly the world this. will die including my son so, yeah, no shit lady so that that's <laughs> worst line read i've ever heard in my life the, how do you read that line no, good no, well, it's not even that's the line a, that's the worst line it's the worst line <laughs> that's just, but that's an that's, unbelievably bad line at this man. point that's that's a nolanism because you can find the equivalent of that line in interstellar yeah like it, all, and throughout oh of course just, well and just, it he just takes that extra step to like explain it to you and yeah it's like dude like we get it, man. Well, like, and it. Well, that's why it makes sense. Also, that like I, I was seeing so much of Looper in this. Although Looper is a much smaller story, um, with less of a budget. But like I, sim- I feel the same way about Looper. I rewatched it recently. The emotional core of that movie to me sucks so bad. Like it really fails. Uh, and it's because that movie was made because of Christopher Nolan paved the way. Like that's how it got greenlit. That's how Ryan Johnson got enough money to make that movie because it was in the wake of Inception. Um, and Ryan Johnson is another over exposition guy. I think Looper is great because it it slows down. Mm-hmm. It takes its time. It it gives you those emotional beats. Tenet is like rapid, fast, nonstop. They drop you in the deep end from the jump, and you are in. Yeah. That well, the thing the is, whole time. If yeah, that's that's another thing. Like I don't. I still don't know how I felt about how, just how deep that deep end was in the very beginning because, yeah. and you know, he does that a lot. Inception does that um, where you trust him. You're like, at some point it's going to, I know like, exactly. That's why I was forgiving of it. But in general, I'm not sure it that it, it was a great idea. Yeah. Um, one thing that it really made me laugh is that he, Christopher Nolan figured out something about time travel that I wish more filmmakers would take advantage of. Uh, the idea that, if we were to come into contact with time travel, we actually wouldn't know how it works totally because it's coming from the future. That's the only way we'll come into contact with it. Probably we're not going to invent it. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it made me laugh because Christopher Nolan went ahead and explained everything he could anyway, but like, that's how I want time travel to be, uh, to be approached in in more movies is like it is unknowable it's confusing to everyone in the movie no matter how smart they are because it's coming from the fucking future yeah they're coming the visual you know what of, I mean? the, of the turnstiles is pretty cool too we've yeah. never seen that before um generally i thought it was great john david washington rules yeah. like he, he has he, fun with it he does he has a lot of fun he uh he just he's charismatic in a very unique way because it's not the denzel way 
it's not it's not the big smile way. He yeah. will never he doesn't give a big smile. I don't think he could deliver a smile that's just like, wow, this guy. Um it's it's more of like a I know what I'm doing. Like he he just is a dude who just like feels put together. Who beats a guy with a cheese grater. <laughs> Fucking dope. Pattinson, I love Debicki is an awesome actress. She just was in a doo-doo part. Um Brana. Brana, yeah, Brana was fun. I like the idea of his character more than the execution of it. The idea of it to me is very, very yeah, smart. Just an absolutely insane person. Yeah, a guy who, like time travel wise, was in the right place at the right time, and as a result, he has the fate of the world in his hand. It wouldn't be the mastermind who came up with it all necessarily. It might just be a guy who happened to be there and like is more power hungry than the person who actually figured it out. This movie is like a classic two thirds problem movie thing that i have where it's like the direction is there just the way that looks is beautiful the performances are there for the most part and i think that the story is just entirely missing like i just do not give a fuck about anything that happens but in this you know nolan probably has an entire office full where the walls are full i'm of sure notes. i'm sure he went full he i know exactly you with the fucking notes all around him he knows but exactly like, what's happening i he does not know how well i it's won't say that he does not know how to articulate it all the time because i think in something like dunkirk which is a little bit more stripped down i think is probably the best storytelling that he's done because it's the least storytelling that he's done yeah, I mean, it's like there's a reason why dunkirk and memento are like two of my top three favorite nolan films um but yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that there is still some stuff to admire in this movie and some stuff that I appreciate, even if it just didn't really work. For I me. this is this is why I wanted you to watch it before the podcast. Yeah, because it's it is it is worthy. It is flawed, but it's worthy. Yeah, like you said, it's the most expensive original fucking movie ever. Basically, yeah. like it's insane, and uh, it's not as good as a few of his other movies. Um, but I'm glad I just. Take it in with a little more dumb brain on just a little bit more because you still have to have like the logic brain. But if you if you dumb that down a bit, if you have a couple trulies, mm. I think you'll have a yeah. good time. I had a good time watching it. We had a blast. Like it wasn't that I I'm not saying I, I fully cared about everything happening, but like scenarios were constantly introduced about like, well, what if I come into contact with X or whatever? And I it kept me interested in just seeing the execution of that. And then it was usually satisfying to see. So that to me is an effective movie. It's just not a f like a whole movie. It, it would have been more satisfying if John David Washington and, and um, Robert Pattinson had fucked, fucked. there. They wanted to fuck. Yeah. It is steamy. They have so much more chemistry than any other. If, if he had a co-writer, with a soul, he would be the best filmmaker ever. Because he doesn't. Christopher Nolan doesn't have a soul. He needs to stop writing his movies. And well, and he also needs his <laughs> yeah. brother to stop co-writing with him. Anyone that's not your fucking well, I like. Brother. I mean, Jonathan Nolan wrote uh, Following and uh, yeah, Memento, yeah, but he's like the same guy. Really good, he wrote Westworld too. But then you know? he wrote Westworld. Yeah, he's. They're both the same dude. Yeah. They're yeah. both these. They both have no. They're not in touch with humanity. You, have you guys ever heard uh, Jonathan? Uh, Nolan talk yeah he's American yeah he well they're both like fr from like born in London or England and then moved over here because Jonathan's a couple years old older he has no English accent whatsoever he fully has just like 
a midwestern normal american accent and then christopher nolan talks and he's just like no i got to get back for tea time that's not what christopher, well, christopher like, nolan Oi. is not he's not like low class <laughs> crikey it, mate. Crikey, he's a little bit cockney <laughs> it's a temple pincer talk, move he talks like fucking helena bonham carter yeah and, no you're like and, that's and like if, if a british person was like uh, yeah paul thomas anderson's God. like hey there i'm bald <laughs> that's what you're doing right now get on the algorithm <laughs> um speaking of uh englishmen moving to america and then returning to england my number nine is a little movie called the nest i did not have a chance to see this movie This is the most under-the-radar, underrated movie of the year. It is not really getting any attention from what I can see. And it is riveting. It is so good. It's one of those movies that's just like a movie. It's just actors acting. There's There's no bells and whistles. There's no temporal pincer moves. It's literally... There's no like big antagonist or ulterior motive or or supernatural force it's it's a very stripped down simple story about a couple in the 80s who moves from new york to the english countryside and their marriage and their family sort of starts to come undone a little bit um but not in the way you expect not in the traditional big movie way not in the 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 cliche type of way. It it is very nuanced. It's very purposeful. It's it's done with this 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 style that isn't big. It's very small. Um, with with a very steady hand from director uh, Sean Durkin. Durkin. Yeah, right. Written and directed by Sean Durkin. Funny name. Uh, stars Jude Law and Carrie Coon. And they are they're going for it. Uh, they are doing some of the best work I've seen them do in a long time. Uh, rem- remember, uh, Jude Law was totally wasted in Captain Marvel, and Carrie Coon was totally wasted in Infinity War. I'm sure everybody I remembers that. Both of them that. were in those movies. To be sure, everybody, everybody remembers that, right? <sighs> they knock it out of the fucking park in this movie, guys. They are so good. And it's key that it takes place in the 80s because essentially what's going on here is um, on the heels of something like Wall Street, you know, greed is good, Gordon Gecko, or even um, Wolf of Wall Street, you know, this this excess, this American dream need to have it all. Um, and it's about a guy who isn't quite at that. Uh, same level, you know, who's, who's chasing it. Um, but I'm giving too much away. It's better if you don't know what this movie is going into it. It's better if, if it unfolds before you without, uh, these big expectations, uh, just know that it never goes for anything huge. It never goes for a dramatic turn. It never goes for something incredibly shocking or scandalous it just is this very contained small story told in this incredibly perfect way i i found it amazing uh just on an on a 
cinematic level, you know, in terms of the the look of it and it's the a performances. Piece, correct? Yeah, 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the performances just really sold it for me, really made me confident in putting it in the top 10. Again, Jude Law and Carrie Coon are so talented. And I want to see them more do more of this kind of stuff where they just like they get to act. They get to mm-hmm. really, really act. I really wanted to get a chance. I almost watched this movie earlier today before the pod. And I just came to a point where I was like, I'm happy with my list. I don't want to have to cram anything else before I get in here. But this is definitely high on my watch list of things to see. Have you ever seen uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene? No, but it's John on my Durkin's list. Other film? I know it's available on HBO Max right now. And I really okay. want to see both of those things because I've heard incredible things about both uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene and The Nest and really interested in checking those out. That's my number nine. Hunter, what's your number nine? Uh, my number nine, I'll, I'm moving it down just a little bit to go ahead and get it out of the way since I know neither of you guys have seen it as we talked about before. My number nine is Nomadland. Um Wow. So number, wait, what? No, I, I'm moving it down just a little bit just to kind of get that out of the way so we can have more things right. that at least you guys have seen. Um, this movie is exceptional. Um, it is currently the front runner to win Best Picture, which is awesome. And then you see this movie and you're like, wait, this movie might win Best Picture. It's kind of baffling that this movie is even in that kind of conversation because it is, aside from being utterly gorgeous and having an incredible performance uh, from Francis McDormand, it is really just this beautiful portrait of America. And Nomadland follows uh, people who are uh, real group people in America, nomads, who just travel around. And a lot of them are either retired or they are down on their luck. They were unemployed and they don't really have any other alternative. They're basically homeless and they just decide we're just going to get in a van and we're just kind of going to drive around and just see the country. And Chloe Zhao, I've been a big fan of her since I saw the writer back in 2017 that made my top 10 of the year that year. Um, But she employs a tactic that is very underutilized in which she doesn't use a lot of real actors. She uses actual real people and so other than francis mcdormand and a couple of other people everybody that you see in this movie is a real nomad and it adds this layer of authenticity that is truly beautiful um i just i i really hate that chloe Zhao is making a marvel movie to be honest with you like i'm sure it'll be great but I want her to make more stories like this because this is just, it's unbelievable how beautiful this film is and the look of this film. My God, I'm with Ernest. I'll go with you to a movie theater and risk COVID to see this movie. I will too. I want to see it. We'll be safe. The huge wide swath, the wide camera shots that this movie has works perfectly with this midwest uh locale where they're shooting the whole film and it just all feels very wide and open and sprawling the emptiness of america yeah it's it's absolutely beautiful it's it's stunning this movie would be higher on my list but i'm just getting it out of the way now so that we can get into more movies that you guys have all seen but But it's it's worthy it's it's worthy of its own episode yes a a thousand percent we'll do we'll do an episode because it comes out it comes out like late february like it's getting a release Um, and then it's dropping on Hulu two Two weeks weeks after for everybody to see. So 
they're running. They're running for Oscars, and and I've heard amazing things about this movie. So, um, I I wanted I wanted to save it, and I wanted to put a spotlight on, on yeah, some other why movies. I'm not going to even talk too much about what the plot is of this movie because it's buzzy enough. Uh, we're all going to see it anyways and talk about it on the podcast. So I don't. I want you guys to go in as dry as I did, where I was like, it's real people and it's about nomads, and that's all that you really know. Done. Uh, that's Hunter's number nine, Nomad Land. Drew, you're number nine. And my wife. Yes. Yes. Hell yeah. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah, Bora 2. Wait, what movie? Um, It's called Mangrove. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wee, wah, racism. <laughs> Dude, I was just listening to a podcast on the the director's cut. You know that podcast, the DGA? Mm-hmm. Phil Lord uh, interviews the director, and it is fascinating. Oh, like I almost oh, wanted I to put that, that this movie on my list just because of like the complexity oh, of, of making it. Jason Wollner's a about. fucking legend, man. Uh, you know, we talked about it at the time, but co-created Nathan for you and directed uh, so many of the episodes, especially the early ones. He he's a genius, and Borat two. Uh, similarly i think there needs to be a a very slight dialogue shift with this one because the first natural thing you would jump to when discussing it is is it as good as the first one and the answer is no that's almost impossible the first one like the surprise of it is half of the secret recipe of it um and also it is better in general uh as a movie yeah it's a better it's a better film um but this movie is incomparable. Like it's not like this type of movie. The, the it's the most different from anything else on any of our lists of anything else on any of our lists. You know what I mean? This is almost deserves to be in a separate category, but it has no peers. Um, this is <laughs> this is cinema verite or whatever. This is like <laughs> this is uh well, it's, it's engineered. Yeah, it's bits. You know, they they're orchestrating. Yeah, the, that's sort of insanity. I was I was reading more because the the term cinema verite originally that's what it kind of means is like is like going in with an intention and trying to get it out of real people, and that's what they do. Like they know what they want people to do, and they have to lie <laughs> uh, to make them do it, or just. Outside of lying, sometimes they just have to elicit just really, really raw reactions out of human beings. I think cinema verite is actually the opposite. They avoid artificiality. You can take that up with my professors. Okay. okay? Oh, I will. Um, but th- this movie just it rules. It has, I'd say, probably like four scenes that are some of the f- funniest scenes of the year yeah. of the decade of whatever like I just some absolute stunning the last scenes third of this movie is like one of the best things i've seen this year like it it yeah. knows how to fucking end a movie and i think one rudy julian i mean well not even that just as soon as the covid plot line yeah. starts to reach it 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 ascends to another plane in my opinion and also this movie has the revolution the revelation of maria bakalova yeah, she's who is crazy. at this point really looking like she's going to get nominated for best supporting actress at the Oscars. Hell yes! <laughs> like she is really, Deserved. really vying. She's starting to kind of 
do the the kissing that goes involved with she's doing the kissing on her virtual virtual ass doing kissing. The virtual, she's doing say, the kissing. I was trying to do. I was trying to say doing the the, the ass, ass kissing, kissing, but like also they're not. She's not kissing their ass because of COVID, so the Zoom kissing. So it just she's came out. Doing, the and it's it also seems she's doing like, the Rudy Giuliani's to the, to the voting body. It, and, it seems ooh. like something that Borat and Tutar would do. Like they would I mean, kiss Bor- ass literally. Yeah, Borat was nominated for best best original screenplay the original film so that wouldn't be a complete shock for it to happen yeah, and also this incredible. this year is weird and yeah. and she again that role is incomparable to any other role outside of this movie that was done this year because mm-hmm. it is not traditional acting it is harder i'll say that pretty definitively to be honest um if like i think maybe one in a hundred of even the best actors could stomach the ability to do this. And so props to her, props to Sasha, props to Jason Wolliner. This one was clearly harder to construct than the first one because everyone knows who Borat is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a cultural icon. So how do you still keep people on their toes in real life? You cast another person. Yeah, you cast another. You, you hit the gold mine. I know they the audition process must have been rigorous, yeah. and uh, props to them. Like it's it's just a great movie. I love it. It would have broken down if they hadn't found her. Like it had to be the right person. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked because even the weird disguises he's wearing. Like I've said before, with something like Nathan for you or Eric Andre, people are have become even in the past like five years a lot more aware of uh camera people having different intentions than what they're telling mm-hmm. you and it's gotten harder and harder to make things like this and they still did a good job and i'm happy borat too mm-hmm. drew's number nine we're on to number eight my number eight is the invisible man hell yes i'm oh, so good glad I made your guys' list i fucking loved this movie yeah like, it didn't it was really close for me because it I mean, this is like better than Tenet. <laughs> I, I sure was really debating not putting this on my list, but then I remembered seeing this in a movie theater. Yeah, the like the this, raw the yeah. raw the effectiveness of it. It's of this movie. It's, was, it just works. So yeah, well. it's just like a base level effective movie. It, like it just works. Exactly. It, it does exactly what it's trying to do with your emotions. I feel like if we would have gotten this movie a little bit later and, and it would have been pushed to pvod it probably would have made my list because part of the magic of seeing this with a crowd on the big screen with the big sound and the lights off it lends itself so well to the way this movie is told to the intrigue the suspense the thrills the the the, the big shocking moments that happen in this thing they just work well in the movie theater and i want that to be a thing again so badly and this just makes me uh kind of hold on to that hope a little bit that people will remember that that they'll they'll remember how they felt when they saw movies like this and that they'll go back in droves when daddy fauci drops the vax have you uh have you revisited this movie since it's no, on HBO Max? No, but I I hold that memory of the theater very very clearly in my mind. There are mm. so many movies that I watched at home that are great movies that just don't like they, they don't the hit it, they yeah. don't stick. And this one 
did. It did so well. No, this Elizabeth is Moss is amazing. This is the an awesome movie. The 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 everything just yeah. works. Lee Winnell knows how to direct the hell out of this movie. Yeah, he's he's gonna be around for forever. Like he, you know, he's very savvy. If you listen to interviews with him, like he's ready to go. He's been ready to go. He's just been st- pigeonholed into screenwriting, but yeah. he he's here. Like he has arrived with this movie. And this is a tiny movie. Like this mm-hmm. is essentially just Elizabeth Moss acting her ass off. There's a couple of like effects stuff and like big sets, but it's very, very slimmed down. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just the negative space, the stuff that you don't see, the implied stuff. It It's just well done. It's just a well yeah. fucking put together movie. Extremely effective. Pretty scary. You know, there's a, there's a couple of things that that. Uh, I was kind of critical of when we reviewed it, like the, 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 I mean, in case people haven't seen it, I don't want to ruin it, but the explanation for the invisible man, mm-hmm. um, I personally would have preferred something a little bit more sort of on the mystical side of things. That's not what this movie does, yeah, it's but very, it, it, they it try works. to make it like this could happen in the real world. Yes, it works. It's not what I personally would have, you know, done or, or preferred, but the way the movie does it works. And that's what I love. About uh, it. Yeah, no, I, I was okay with how it unfolded from a writing standpoint. Uh, I really like, I didn't want to let it ruin the movie for me, but I think that kind of, a, I guess I'll say spoiler. I think I really do think that the guy who played the titular character was awful. Yeah. I remember us talking. I, about I that. think that he was it's one, one scene. No, I know, but like, it's so important that he's yeah. good. And I, he really, to me was like one of the worst actors I've seen in a good movie this year, period. I think that he was like two, three tiers below the rest yeah. of the movie. It was just yeah. a, it was a show of how low the budget was. I know that, that's all they could afford. <laughs> exactly. For, They're like, like, we can do some effects with uh footprints walking and uh, we got to yeah. get this guy. But and we have Elizabeth Moss. Shout, shout though to uh, Aldous Hodge because mm-hmm. I I've liked that guy for a long time because my mom was a big leverage on TNT nice. fan and he's he's finally he's got to be in his 40s now he's finally having a moment because he was in one night in Miami yep. and he's, he's and he's gonna be he's gonna in be in Black Adam mm-hmm. um so good on Aldis for for grinding it out he's awesome man yeah no I I do really really love this movie a lot I think it might have gone up a little bit higher in my rankings if I would have uh, revisited this movie. There's just so many other films that I wanted to talk about that are a little bit more fresh in my mind, but I mean, this is perfect. It's kind of also like a double feature of this and Promising Young Woman would be really cool as just gaslighting the movie and what that is like for uh, women. And yeah. yeah. It's harrowing in this one. It's, it's so effective. The Invisible Man, my number eight. Hunter, your number eight. My number eight is a movie I know you guys have both watched and we might have to wait on. It is Shithouse. Yeah, we'll wait. Okay. Um, My number eight is Bad Education. Nice. Hell yeah. Uh, um, I've seen it twice now and I think that's a big reason that it climbed up my list because it's what you would call unassuming. Um, Just generally like how it functions as a movie, what it is about, uh, how it's how it's directed and performed. And also like where it came out, it was, this isn't like a pandemic casualty movie. This was like wholly originally intended to be released on HBO as a TV movie. And it's awesome. Uh, And I, 
I'm coming to realize that I love small movies, uh, often ones that are based on true stories, but that obviously take liberties um, because they allow actors to act. And I maybe it's just sort of recency bias because with what we're inundated with, not so much very recently because superhero movies have sort of grinded to a halt. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Um, but those those movies don't allow anybody to do any acting. Um, you know what I mean? Like you really have to pick your spots in those movies in order to stand out. And in movies like this, you really just get to see talented performers doing what they do best. And Hugh Jackman, this movie gave me a whole new respect for him. He's obviously he's been great in plenty of shit before, uh, but not in this way. This is like the smallest I've ever seen him, even though he's playing a man who in real life and in the movie is, you know, known by many and well regarded by so many and like he's a fulcrum of uh an entire school district or whatever but the his performance is so small and minuscule and i didn't know that he was able to do that because modern movies don't allow people to be small and he was stuck doing the franchise stuff yeah so exactly and really have the chance well and speaking of that someone that i've you know been known can do literally anything is allison janney oh yeah dude. and uh i came to appreciate her performance even more on, upon second viewing she is just stunning like i said i think i said it when i rewatched it recently like i still i think this movie would be in all of our lists if there were two more scenes with the two of them together, because though they're yeah. one or two scenes they have like where it's just them two, uh, it's electric. It like it it's one of those sort of magic potion things where they just gotta be in the room and it'll be good because they're both they're both at their uh peak. Allison Janney, I think, is sort of always at that level. I've never really seen her be anything lower than perfect, no matter what she's in. Uh I think she might be one of the ten best uh actors like alive yeah. she like what has she done that's bad like she's done Maybe things mom. That, yeah mom that's good? that's what i was gonna say she's done things that are bad but what has she done where she was bad nothing yeah i don't think she's so. she's stunningly good uh the direction is so 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 good yeah Corey finley yeah he's he's still so young he made thoroughbreds and then this and i i'm so excited for whatever he does next because it's it's very thoughtful and restrained, but also it's not afraid like at the end, not to spoil, but at the end, it does uh, get a little bit bigger. Like it, it it allows itself to go beyond reality. And I think that is a brilliant choice and it works so well in this movie. And I just I love the movie. It's a good hang. It's br it's so well written. Um, it's so smart. It has an emotional sharpness to it. That's pretty rare in even small movies. Uh, so I would, yeah, I would, even you guys, I would tell you to rewatch it because yeah. it just, the closer you look at it, the better it gets. Yeah. Bad education. I, I remember loving it. I will definitely check it out again. It's, it seems it, like a very, like, it seems like a great movie to rewatch cause it's so easy. And like, I don't mean this to sound in any kind of negative connotation or anything, but it's like, it's very like base level good. And like, just in that, like, it's just a very well-made movie. It's small. It, you're in and you're out. And then that's kind of it. And I think that, I think the performance is, the, the performance is elevated over that. I think that, well, no, I, yeah. and again, I don't mean to like say that to like put the movie down or anything like that, because I, you are right. I mean, the performances are incredible. Allison Janney and Hugh Jackman are great. They knock it movie. out of the park. This, this was in my top 10 until I had to do some reshuffling. So I'm, I'm glad it made it on the, 
mm. the pod tonight because it is so so good. So your number seven, my number seven is the Five Bloods. Wait a little bit, actually. Okay. What's your number seven, Hunter? My number seven is another movie that has not been massively available to the public. I'm not sure if you guys have had a chance to watch yet. It is Minari. Um. Wait. Okay. Um. My number seven is Palm Springs. Nice. Uh, it's my number six. Okay, so okay. let's talk about it. Um, it it rules. Oh yeah, another, uh, it's another movie. one I've seen twice now. Oh, I haven't seen it the second time. And much much like Bad Education, but though it's like a vastly different movie, it it just gets better. It's it's I think it's the definition of a good hang. Oh, it's mm-hmm. a great hang. Yeah, yeah, like it it and it like it's almost a miracle of coincidence that it came out during quarantine. Yeah, and the that time loop. Man. Yeah, it, it made <laughs> so it it made well. it yeah so much more applicable and more more easy for us to empathize with it for sure sympathize with it. Um, but as a whole, this is just a really, really solid rom-com. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's conceptual high concept. It has well, sci-fi. It does the rom-com well. Yeah. It doesn't half-ass the rom-com, which no. I appreciate so much that it doesn't just have this half-ass romance to then give way to the wacky time loop hijinks. Yeah. Like it, it does have this emotional romantic story at the core mm-hmm. and, uh, Andy Samberg and um, Christine Milotti. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce Miliotti Milotti. Are these freaking Italians amazing. and their stupid <laughs> names? These fucking Jamooks. Kristen, Kristen Milotti, Kristen Milotti. I think it's just Milotti. I don't. She, I've seen. I've heard Milotti. conversations with her before, and she says Kristen Milotti. I think it's gelato. <laughs> J.K. Simmons. Uh, fucking uh, what's the crazy guy's name? Connor O'Malley. Yeah. Like, it's so it's such a fun movie, and it still has like, you know, kind of the headiness where you yeah. have to kind of like use your brain a little bit, but it, it it it's it strings you along into this like sort of mystery and and does things you have seen before, but it recontextualizes them, and yeah. And, it's just so it, well done. Yeah, I think the the best adjective I could use to describe this is balanced. It's a well balanced movie. Yeah, like it it knows it knows how deep to get into the sci fi bullshit without just becoming about that because that's that's something that you could very easily do is just get go balls deep into like what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't get derailed by that because you you not know at all from the jump that. At some point, it's going to have to like explain some things to some extent. So you're you're primed for that bit, and then it just gives you just enough mm-hmm. to be satisfied, and then you're back to the characters, yeah. which is what we and want. Melody is one of those people who's just been sitting waiting for everyone to realize she's great. Yeah, and how then, I met your mother. Uh, how yeah, how I met your father. Oh, I yeah, was that even a thing? <laughs> Um, she was going to write a growing. Well, yeah, it was going to be her at some point, but then it was, she was Kristen Melody, I think is the mother, right? She had like a main role yeah. at the end of the show. Yeah. I think. I, so I, you know, you might be right though, that how I met your father might've just been a whole different thing other than, I don't think that show ever happened. No, it, of course it never did. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, she, she's had a lot of like, maybes. she's had a lot of like TV gigs, like pilots that were I supposed to be I hope this is the springboard. To I know a big career. I know she's, she's crazy great. good. Sandberg, we get to see go smaller than normal, even though he's still he goes big. Dark, dude. He, he goes dark. 
uh hella dark here he does a great job at it he's really good at playing uh a lot of different variations of fucked up and like depressed just and yeah but just a defeated. lot of a lot of variations of drunk because he we know he can do any type of goofy like yeah. we went in knowing that he's the god of just doing goofy insane characters um, and that's a lot of drunkenness, but he also can do depressed drunk and he also can do, you know, pensive drunk and he can do uh, tired drunk. He can do, uh, you know, I've been alive for 10,000 years. What even am I drunk? <laughs> <laughs> he he rocks in this movie. And I like I had a big fight with my mom when I showed my family this movie because she couldn't get over the hump of the fact that it just was Andy Samberg and she couldn't let herself enjoy his performance because of that. And I was like, no, you should take this as an introduction to a new Andy Samberg who's capable of more than you thought. Cause that's what it is. It's she watched too much SNL. Yeah, no, she was just like, she couldn't stop looking at him and thinking that's the smorgy dorg guy, you know, (laughs) just in my pants. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But if you just let yourself enjoy him, like, you know, being on mushrooms and, uh, camping in the desert and like talking about life like he's really good at that too uh I've, you know he's obviously like w- probably one of the secretly smartest people in comedy of the last like 30 years because uh you know, they produced this fucking yeah. movie the lonely island bought this movie they produced it they bought the script that is they sold it uh for the highest price ever for anything ever to to screen at sundance um people loved it too yeah just they're like sandberg is wildly savvy the lonely island is i would kill to read the original script and see how they tweaked it because i think they made a lot of great choices with uh keeping it keeping it light but heavy yeah like i said it's I just mean, it's a slim movie it's 90 minutes it's just yeah it's just a balanced like lightning quick great hang movie mm-hmm. and i think there should be more movies like that i'm really glad this guy that this made with fiel's list because I, this was kind of an early tough cut for me this was in my long list to make my top 10 just because this is it's so well executed it's so well done that like it's nitpicking whenever you get down to the things that did not work for you about this movie. Because yeah. I think that if you do like it works because it's so lean. And if you try to add anything else to it, it doesn't work. Like we've seen so many failed attempts at this groundhog day style of storytelling. And I think this and happy death day, uh, which came out a few years ago, Palm Springs is better than, a little bit better than happy death day in my opinion. But those are the only two versions of this successfully working of something, say the time, something saying, yeah, it's Groundhog Day, but blank. And also it needs to be reiterated. The world ended in March. Yeah. And we had to cope with that for months. It's so like, I think that this is a movie we talked about movies that maybe didn't make the list because you didn't see them at a theater. You didn't see them because you couldn't see them. This was the perfect place. The perfect time kind of movie. Great acquisition by Hulu. Yeah. Good it it, it just, you know, we've, we've been having to deal with this pandemic for almost a year now and never before in our lifetimes has there been something that affects every single human being on earth the way COVID has. And for us to be able to find a piece of, of film that encapsulated that and that helped us deal with that and cope with that is incredibly meaningful and i i gotta commend it for that you know obviously they didn't intend it to be that it was just serendipitous and it's yep. part of the magic of it so that's my number six and drew's number seven palm springs uh i think we're at your number six hunter my number six is a little movie 
that I championed back in, I think it was like May or something when this movie first came out. It's never early, sometimes always. Uh, go ahead and wait for that one. Um, Hell yes. I'm glad somebody else saw this movie. No, I know that this is one that I know that would easily make my list. And I, I was supposed to watch it today. Spectrum, not not sponsored by you, this podcast. Just It's available on HBO Max now. My number six is something that I initially really didn't want to call a movie. It's Lover's Rock. I was so sad to cut this. This was high up and I had to cut it. This is lovely, lovely piece. Yeah, it's just it's such a fucking vibe. Um, It's it's feel based filmmaking. It's it's just absolutely stunning directing uh and acting more than anything so tangible like you can you can see and touch the sweat in this dance floor like you can taste it almost it's a little gross this is if anyone didn't hear the old episode where we talked about it this is episode two of small acts on amazon prime which is steve mcqueen's anthology series about Uh, the the um west indian sort of caribbean immigrant life in 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 britain uh, and in, in area yeah particularly with these two in like the 70s and 80s yeah. uh the mangrove could have easily made my list as well by the way i loved mangrove um i loved both of these uh lovers rock though to me felt more special just because it's real it's it's harder to me at least to capture a feeling than it is to yes. than it is to capture an event if that makes sense uh, and this this just captures like an era of feeling. What about <laughs> a one feeling movie? of an event that we have to deprive ourselves from because there's a fucking deadly virus that doesn't allow us to have house parties like what this movie is? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, like I said at the time, uh, so much of the magic in that to me is the sound design and mixing the the way that the low end comes through at the live gigs the way that all the music just sounds so unbelievably live which is kind of hard to replicate based on what other movies how they try to do it because i've i've seen a lot of attempts that just don't really get it and this this movie gets it so well uh, the way the camera just meanders, Dude, the, the, so many long takes. Yeah, the way it follows mood, and when everyone's in the same mood, it just goes to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it just, it, it just shows you everyone in the fucking room. Like man. they literally just had a party and it filmed is, it. Yeah, it's just, it's a fucking <laughs> vibe, is what this movie is. Like it's hard to yeah. even call it a movie because it's just a fucking vibe. It's, apparently, apparently, Steve McQueen said that the the um, silly games bit where the music cuts out and they keep singing it acapella yeah. was not scripted. Yeah, it was completely improvised. Mm. Like they just were in such a vibe, fucking vibe that they just did it. They were just in that mood and just sang it without the track and it is the best part of the whole thing. It is magical. Mm. Yeah, it rocks. That's all I got to say. Lovers rock. Mm-hmm. It's Drew's number 6. Um, let's take a quick break party break the top five and then we'll hit the top five hello we're back oh okay welcome back okay we just did our six through ten best movies of 2020 
Let's get through the top five, boys. Let's do it then. I guess it's my turn, right? Go right ahead. My number five is Soul. Wait just a little bit on that. Okay. What's your number five? My number five is a movie I know, I'm almost positive none of you guys have seen, uh, based on our discussion of Apple Plus on the last uh, TV podcast. Ted Lasso again, Hunter? (laughs) Ted Lasso. Come on. Ted Lasso, the movie. (laughs) Uh, My number five is a movie that I watched last night. It's Boy State. Um, documentary, right? Yeah, you're just, you're just saying words. I mean, it is the best documentary I've seen this year. Like, it is probably the most 2020 movie, uh, and I mean that in the both in like both the positive and the negative connotation. Uh, this is a story about a real program that happens in almost every state called uh, Boy State, where you have to go through a long application process and if you are selected you spend a week long in the capital and you try to run for either uh governor or state capital or washington dc uh state capital it's state by state um and you try to run for these different uh positions it's basically acclimating teenagers to what the election process is in this country uh, and the highest position that you can have is governor. And this documentary spends most of the time covering the gubernatorial race between a few kids that are in this program. And it is absolutely riveting. It, I've never felt so hopeful for the future at the same time, completely hopeless and pessimistic for the future at the same time. Um, I just think what Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain, the two directors who made this film, what they stumbled on is something that's so rare in documentary filmmaking because I was listening to an interview with them and they had to interview hundreds and hundreds of kids to try and find the right ones. And they just happened to pick the kids who were most exceptional to them. And they are the main ones who we follow around as trying to either run for state or run for um party lead but the actual inner politics of how politics have affected children's heads or the inverse how like the young brain has infected politicians heads is absolutely fascinating there's this one kid who um i'm ready to vote for him uh (laughs) for elected office tomorrow. His name is Steven Garza, who's 17 years old. He tells this whole story because of course, uh, this is set in Texas. So it's a very conservative state. Um, very heavy on gun control and pro-life. And he's this guy who they're interviewing him. And he was like, uh, my mother was an undocumented immigrant. I am a Mexican American. I got into politics because of Bernie Sanders and I'm trying to, I feel like I'm in another world and he is trying to run for governor and how they follow his story is just absolutely incredible. How genuine of a person he is on the mean side. There's another kid named Ben Feinstein who is, he is a double amputee um, who uh, had meningitis. So he had both of his legs amputated and we're introduced to him by him uh, showing off his Ronald Reagan action figures that he has. (laughs) And like, it's, it's, 
utterly like baffling the way these kids talk whenever they're trying to because they have to do things like they have to try and get votes to actually get on the ballot they have to get signatures and stuff like that and there are people who are walking around just like yeah what's your platform everybody's just like well i'm waiting to see like what the party platform uh decides Mm -hmm. before i uh state what my opinions are Mm -hmm. and it's basically it's like this total indictment on the political system that we have today and how like but it's like how the sausage is made a little bit exactly yes it's exactly that where it's kind of going into are you a republican or a democrat because uh your politics because your own morals are or because the party platform that you're on says that you have to be pro-life or pro-choice absolutely um it's hunter have you ever seen do you or have you heard of the show kid nation Oh uh, yeah, I've heard of that. I've been I've been, I've been wanting to watch that for so long. How do we watch that? Oh, I, I don't fucking. I watched it when it aired when we were in like middle school or high school. It was a show on CBS. It was a reality show where they they had a bunch of children build a society from scratch, and it failed for a lot of reasons. Um, namely, the kids were too young, and there seemed to be interference from the you know from the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was very interesting to see. Well, I mean, this is, it works because it's so authentic. Like there's a point, the reason why the filmmakers, uh, decided to go after, they decided to pursue the story is because this is following the 2018, uh, Texas boys state, but in 2017, it made national headlines because the Texas boys state, uh, voted to secede from the union, which if that doesn't if that doesn't just break through to current society in Texas right now, then I don't know what the fuck does. Wow. But it's interrogating all these different ideas where like it's teenage boys. So like they're voting like um, over like stupid shit. Like I vote that uh, pineapple should not be allowed on pizza. And also <laughs> these politics they've, they've inherited from their parents where it's just like, I think every person should be able to own a rocket launcher. <laughs> it's what is un- fucking believable to Texas watch. Is out of no, control. it's, and it's unbe- like, I mean, it gets down to a point where there's a full on smear campaign against a person of color in this movie that takes place. And it is, it's pretty tough to watch, but it's borderline Hillary Clinton emails level where it's like, are the adults learning from the kids or are the kids learning from the adults in this situation? It's yeah, it's, 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 it's a really Lord of the tough. Flies thing. And there's there's another kid in here, which I don't want to give away too much of this movie because I think that this is like absolutely a must watch for any person alive right now in this country. But there's another guy who's talking about like, I mean, because they know. Most of the people who are there come from conservative backgrounds. And this guy runs a very pro-gun, pro-life approach. And then it reaches a point because it's shot with these confessionals where they have these uh, four kids and they will like sit down and talk with them after like in between moments and they kind of open up a little bit. There are like our and one main of the characters. kids is just like, yeah, I'm actually like I'm very pro-choice, but like I know that's not going to get me votes. And Christ how people are willing to completely sacrifice their own morals to get ahead and to get votes to win is kind of disheartening, but it's, it's really, it's illuminating. 
more than anything else. Um, there's also, there is a girl state. And let me tell you, if they decided to make a girl state a sequel to this movie, I would be even more fascinated to watch that to see how that works. Yeah, you would, you little creep. Gender politics working in there. But I mean, to your point about Kids Nation failing, I think that this works because they're all 17. By they're the way, uh, Kid Nation senior, seniors uh, is all on YouTube. So we got to oh, watch it. Terrific. I'm, I'm down. Um, it's, it's, I think like this is worth getting to Apple plus four. Like mm. this is a hundred percent worth getting Apple plus four just in itself. This movie is unfucking believable. It's one of the best documentaries I've seen in the last, like I'll do the free trial. Years. I'll figure yeah. out a free trial. Yeah. Boy state, uh, is Hunter's number five. My number five. Drew, your number five. Five bloods. Spike Lee, baby. My yeah. number seven. Um, I said that uh, Palm Springs, I would call balanced. I would call this movie unbalanced. Um, it has a lot of problems, um, but it's going for it, though. At, and when it works, it works better than anything I saw this year. It works you, so well. You never saw Black Klansman, right? No. This movie, I think, is Spike Lee trying to do something bold. Yeah. I think Black Klansman is him in on that getting there like it is it is bold to an extent but it's not spike lee bold mm-hmm. it's a good movie but the five blood f- feels like what spike lee captivated people with mm-hmm. in do the right thing era and i really really want to revisit more of his catalog because to see you know we did we did we kind of picked these like interesting periods in in his filmography to visit we did do the right thing and then inside man (laughs) and then defy bloods and it's like it's like the 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 stone cold masterpiece classic the sort of hired gun director that he puts high action comedy that that high action crime film he puts his own sort of spin on Mm -hmm. and then his new one his his and i think there's gonna be another one that comes up a little later um but this is a uh just a straight up great fucking spike lee movie the, like this is everything that he does well done yeah. well it sort of it sort of lulls you into some sort of sense of comfort whether intentionally it's still or not. erratic though but what well once this movie like takes its turn and goes where it's trying to go uh you cannot look away for the rest of the movie when they're like, in the it jungle is, it's yeah it's as gripping yeah. as any movie that yeah. i've seen in the last five years Delroy straight Lindo, up dude yeah that's Fuck. that's the other base argument here is del delroy lindo is getting my best actor if i'm in charge of the oscars he wins it um and jonathan majors gets nominated for best supporting he doesn't quite win but um we have an incredible ensemble performance here i like i love i love love clark peters who's very quietly so important to like the glue of the movie because this has to be a hang movie and so the main the leader of the group has to be like he has to be magnetic enough that you understand why these guys still like each other even though they're Mm -hmm. so so different because they fought in vietnam together and they're clearly on different paths since then um the like i said the the beginning and very very end of this movie are you could call them suspect they don't ruin it for me because there is probably 45 minutes to an hour in this that is straight up the best filmmaking of the year 
period. The mm-hmm. period. The, the mind. The minefield scene. Yeah. Yeah. The highs of this one of the movie best scenes of the year. Unbelievable. Yeah, and I want. I like. I think we need to give that some weight because there are a lot of movies that can give you an eight for for like an hour and a half, two hours, but there really honestly aren't a lot that can give you a 10 for 45 minutes. To me, that's rarer than a consistent eight. And we were again, just reminded how fucking talented Spike Lee is. I know it's, he's not just, it's crazy. He's not just doing the greatest hits. Like he's doing something that feels relevant because that's always what he's trying to do. Oh, absolutely. It doesn't always work, uh, but here it does. Yeah. Like when he wants to turn it on, he can turn it on. Um, even at this point in his career and it sort of it almost solidifies the fact what i said about inside man which i i think it's worse than you guys think it is i really i really think that he was so i think he was so wildly hands-off with that movie and it doesn't feel like you could tell me anyone directed that and i would believe you it doesn't it's not a spike lee movie straight up it does it's not a spike lee movie um whether or not you like it. i mean when you compare it to this of course yeah this is a spike lee movie um and i like it's just astonishing how good he can be even though he hasn't been that and i i like a lot of directors who are like that who can be as good as it gets but just aren't always um someone like link later he's made so much like dog shit in his in his career and that's why he's not like addressed as highly as as some of his contemporaries but like these guys (laughs) like you you're allowed to just ignore the bad movies at this point there's enough of a consensus that you can kind of assume okay if it really has like a five on like imdb then it probably isn't that great the the issue is that a lot of like the sean the sean fantasies of the world want to be like completionists when it comes to this stuff yeah and a lot of like film twitter wants to be in that side of things where it's like you want to have this cohesive story Mm -hmm. to hollywood and to the people of hollywood and sometimes these guys they gotta work out the kinks a little bit it's different it's different with every filmmaker and i don't necessarily like i mean i love that we can just fire up literally any paul thomas anderson movie and we'll know that we have a banger on our hands but that's 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 one guy that's 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 extremely rare yeah you don't have to be the go everybody is a david lynch or uh fucking uh paul thomas anderson exactly all of their movies are bangers a lot of times and the thing is not everybody's a todd phillips (laughs) jesus christ the thing is that even in lesser uh spike lee movies which this is definitely not one of his lesser movies but even in his lesser films i think that there's always something to admire out of it and this there's a lot to admire out of it i mean you mentioned just that mind sequence is just one of the best things ever the use of chadwick boseman in this movie of course we didn't know that or spike didn't know at the time that he was going to pass away this year unfortunately but the way that he is utilized in this movie is angelic yeah. to say the least. It is Haunting so too. fucking powerful. Um, and this movie came out right around his death too. So just to hit even an extra chord on there. Um, yeah, no, I think that this movie it's, it's very deserving. I really, really love this movie. I honestly, I wish this movie would have came out later in the year. Cause I feel like at least for like awards consideration, as far as that goes, I feel like this has kind of been forgotten. Like I'm kind of worried about Delroy. Yeah, it's yeah. it sucks, man. Um, if this movie came out in November, then I think that he would be on the forefront of the conversation. Yeah, it's such an interesting character, you know this this black Trump supporter 
I, I know that Spike Lee feels very, very strongly against Trump. Um, and it's a lot more nuanced than that when it comes to the way this yeah, character is Yeah, it gets to the humanity of who that character is yeah. and why he's like that. And uh, like I said, once the movie takes its turn, you're there. Like you're in and uh, the character choices made beyond that point also just they just work. It's just it's. You know, when it's dialed in, it's dialed in. It's just not always dialed in. It rules, though. So that's my number five. The five bloods. So I think we're at my number four. So are we is anyone else appreciating the fact that my number 10 was 10 and my number five was the five bloods? Brain blast. And that and that is that is a tenet move isn't it to be so smart your number number one is tenet two because i actually came from the future and i already saw tenet two i was gonna say your number one is one flew over the cuckoo's nest (laughs) (laughs) drew (laughs) yeah no do we need to put you in a cuckoo house my number one is uh palm springs one honestly because it is the first one if you were smart you would have put one night in miami at number one if i was smart i would have watched more movies this year and i would have watched that movie So, so you know whatever checkmate Go ahead. My number four is never, rarely, sometimes, always. Yes. Uh, yes. I think I'm gonna leave for I a mean, minute. I mean, well, there we, I, you know, the basic premise of this. Yeah, movie, but Hunter, so every not... time that you say this, though, you end up ruining something. Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna leave. <laughs> so it's it's a simple story. Yeah, there isn't really a whole Just, lot to spoil with uh, text, this movie. Text me, okay. I mean, it's following uh, a woman, uh, a young girl. girl. A, not a, a 17 year old 17 year old girl. girl who gets pregnant and is trying to get an abortion and her journey to do that uh living in rural pennsylvania which uh, requires her to go to new york city to actually get this abortion and follows her from there um it has easily the most powerful moment that i've seen in a movie this year yeah the single... the titular uh scene the yes. never rarely sometimes always seen uh and it's it's so small. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I love about this movie is that it's so stripped down. Like, it doesn't, much like The Nest, my number nine, I love movies that just, like, they don't go big. They stay so small. And I, and I think that's a risk. I think a lot of times it is easier to go big because you're more likely to get an emotional reaction out of your audience. I think it is the tougher path to go for something that's extremely restrained. And this movie is all restraint. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give you anything. And what it does give you is so effective. It is everything. Every tiny little thing is incredibly meaningful. I mean, it's really, there's like co-MVPs of this movie. One of them is Eliza Hittman, a director and writer who chose to make this such a crushingly realistic portrait of what it is like. Um, There are no bells and whistles to this movie. It is just very much such a small story of this girl and uh, her cousin who goes with her into the city. Sydney Flanagan. Yeah, and that's the other co-MVP, in my opinion, because Sydney Flanagan is a person who I've never seen in my life. Um, This is her feature-length debut in any movie, and 
I was knocked out. I was absolutely floored by her performance. She there's a couple of warners that Hitman employs in this movie that just absolutely crushed me with what Sydney Flanagan does in her performance and by playing it flat is the wrong word but playing it real playing yeah. it very extremely real yeah and it it's crushing it's absolutely just a crushing movie about what it's like to be a woman yeah and i mean i a, a, a girl yeah she's I mean, a girl a she's a 17 year old girl. girl yeah and she has to get this abortion and she's going about it in the most like matter of fact way yep and it's so heartbreaking. It's really tough. I another thing uh, with the restrained storytelling is um, like it's very much from her point of view, and that like we do not see a ton of what her home life was like. We get little snippets. We see Sharon Van Etten, who plays her mom. Shout out to Sharon Van yep. Etten. Um, but like we're not getting a big snippet of that. We just see these little tiny bits of her life, and we just kind of have to take that with us and draw our own conclusions for what her friend group is at school and what her home life is and what her life is in all these different ways. And we're just kind of along for the ride. We're just there for a three day section of this girl's life. We have to deal with that. The scene you mentioned, the, um, I guess the counseling scene, um, where she's asked those questions, like that's to me, what makes the movie like it is worth watching just for that scene. It is so, so well done. And it's literally just a close-up of her face acting. Like, that's that's all it is. There's, like, no music. There's no music in this whole no, movie. No I, I think there is a little bit of a score that comes in a towards bit, the end. It's mostly very... It, it's just like hearing the sounds of the city and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, there is it's a not, little a little bit of like a droning score that comes in towards the end. But for the most part, the entire length of the movie doesn't have any music. And that scene is just her. It's just her acting her fucking ass off. And I, I got to admit, for the bulk of the movie, I was a little bit left wondering, like, what's the big deal here? Like where, what's the, where is this movie like going to hit me? Cause it's so withdrawn. It's so subdued. And that scene got me. It really fucking got me. And then from there on till the end, I was just an emotional wreck yeah. essentially, because I, I don't want to give too much away, but essentially what this movie did for me is it was, it just showed me like so many movies have recently, how destructive men are. Yeah. Like mean, we're fucking monsters and, si- and, and women have to deal with the fallout of our fucking horrible actions. And they just, they don't have a, a choice in the matter. Like that's what's so heartbreaking about what this girl is doing is like, she gets pregnant and the dude doesn't have to fucking do anything about it and she's the one that has to fucking deal with it and that is awful (laughs) it's fucking awful i mean it's the same thing that i said about promising young woman applies to this where it is men are oblivious at best and really rotten to their core at worst like that is how everybody i'm thinking specifically of um 
uh, what's his name? Theodore uh, yeah. Pellerin, who plays Jasper, the guy who they exactly. meet in New York City, where it's just like, at worst, he's just a fucking idiot. And then at best, or at best, he's a fucking idiot. And at worst, he is a horrible human being. And you're kind of stuck there to make your own conclusions. Yeah. Also wanted to shout out uh, Talia Ryder, who plays her uh, cousin, who gives a really good performance in a limited role. She's going to be in the upcoming West Side Story movie, uh, Spielberg West Side Story movie. So the I'm cousin? excited to see her in that. Yeah. Nice. Um, because both of them just have one of they both of them just give these performances where like you cannot take your eyes off of them whenever they are on the screen. Mm -hmm. And again, very, very small. Yeah. Very, very small. So that's my number four. Never really sometimes always. And Hunter's number six. Hunter, your number four. My number four is something we might have to wait on a little bit. It's soul. It's my number four. My number four. All right. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about what number is it for you? Uh, five. Okay, cool. Soul rocks. Yeah, Soul, I mean, I sang the praises of Pete Doctor on this podcast. Yeah, we did a uh, whole ep on it. A whole ep on it. Um, I went and revisited Inside Out. Um, and it's kind of funny. I put these right next to each other in my Pixar rankings because I think that there's things that I admire more about Inside Out than this movie. But there's also things that I admire about Soul a lot more than Inside Out. And that is that soul is not afraid to just straight up not be for kids at a certain point sure it has like a traditional bad guy which i don't love that that's in there but this is a movie about growing up and not reaching your the hopes that you set for yourself and to that point i think that this movie is just wholly successful um i just really push back. I mean, I'm not going to completely dismiss the racial criticisms of this movie because I think that those are valid. I mean, those are everybody's everybody has a right to their opinion. But for me, that never bothered me. I think the music for this movie is incredible. That is a jazz centric score, um, along with the incredible work of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Uh, I this movie just absolutely took me away. I fucking love this movie. I almost left this off my list and then I was looking through it and I was like, who the fuck am I kidding? <laughs> this is gotta, an amazing this is movie. One of the best Pixar movies of the last 20 years. I, I had my criticisms, but they're not enough to to kill the movie. Like it still comes through as a visual and thematic and, and spiritual marvel it's so well put together exactly i don't think um i would have to revisit inside out but i don't think i would put it over it but i think inside out like we we mentioned it does strike the balance a little better with being for all ages i think soul is just like straight up pretty much in a, a movie for adults it does have like the you know what like we talked about like the tiny little things to keep the kids entertained the 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 funny animated but I would bubbles. not understand this movie whatsoever if I was but six. yeah on a on a thematic story level like it's for adults and I think that is incredibly admirable that they have the guts to to go for it and to do it and and it pays off because you are thinking about these types of things as you get older about like what's my purpose what's my spark what's the meaning of life and I, I think they nailed it. I think it got existential and 
it didn't feel like it was watered down for children. It 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 went for it and it nailed it. Yeah. Great movie. I don't have anything else to say about it other than what I've already said on the the episode a couple weeks ago. It's just it rules. It's not my favorite Pixar, but it's up there. It's really great. Soul. Um are there more trulies? <laughs> yeah. I need a truly for my number three. Oh. Mm. Oh. Um, it's a little movie called First Cow. Wow. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that you put this on your list. I rewatched this movie yesterday and I it was tough for me to not put it on there. Such a nice, soft, gentle movie. Um the rare movie this year that I feel like is so good that it didn't lose its luster from not being in a movie theater. I think there's a lot of movies I saw this year that I feel like they would have hit so much harder in the theater. And I think this would have hit so much harder in the theater, but it's so good that it translated incredibly well to seeing it at home. And I adored it. I think the cow is nice. Mm. The cow is nice. The cow is nice. I think John Magaro and his relationship with the cow is just one of the most beautiful romances that I've seen on film this year. It's it's only rivaled by John David Washington and Robert Pattinson. Really? I mean, that's it. If you're talking about best romances of the year, it's between those two. It's this this lush Pacific Northwest greenery. To your point, it benefits really well from watching at home. I did a showtime free trial so i could rewatch this movie yesterday mostly because i was like it was my fourth movie of the day and i was like i just want to vibe yeah i just want to just chill and hang out and this movie is so small it's so stripped down which kelly records done before i uh i saw certain women which is on the criterion channel right now and that is another very very stripped down portrait of life in a lot of ways but i think that john mcgarrow and orion lee and they're kind of friendship that they have together but also yeah. Magaro has this very quiet character as Cookie and then uh, Orion Lee who plays King Lou is like this very he has a presence on screen where he has this very natural charisma to him where you want to follow him you want to buy into him I I love this movie yeah I think it's it's, it's so film. good we need more movies like this that that do the kind of period extreme period piece because this movie goes like way back to like i think it's like the 1800s mm-hmm. but it doesn't like have any sort of like intense style to it or or occultness or tragedy i mean it kind of does have a tragedy but that's not really what it's about it's about this guy who's making these cakes and kind of cakes. the uh, these a little <laughs> tastes illegal good. I, tastes good make you it happy ages, i don't know if you've rewatched this movie but I it does age really well to. on a rewatch because the first time you watch this movie there is a period of time where you're like you spend the first hour feeling out what is this yeah movie. what's happening like because it is very slow it is very stripped down and you're like especially if you haven't seen any of her of uh kelly records work you're kind of trying to feel around for what the movie is. And so it works really well on a rewatch, knowing where the story's going. It just is. Ride. Yeah. It just is. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. anything. I don't want to ride with Christopher Nolan. I want to ride with Kelly Reichard. It's it's such a nice and and gentle and soft movie. It's first cow. 
I loved it. I Actually, Hunter, they're neither are on your list, so you don't want to ride with either of them. Mm. Uh, I'll tell you right now, first cow is a lot higher on my um, mm. my top list. We can't confirm or deny. We're not going to go over the rest of the list. Uh, ball, don't lie, Hunter. Um, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Hunter, your number three. My number three is a movie we might have to wait on just a little bit. It is Sound of Metal. Just a bit. Didn't get to see it. I wish I did. Mm. Um, But... My number three is a movie I saw just last week, and it's Shit House. Hell yes. So I knew from your reaction on our group chat that you were going to put this on your yeah, list, so I left it out. This is sort of a tough one because it uh, tonally is something that is very much up my alley, but then also in terms of like hyper-specific experience, it's also very much well, up my alley. So I it, think it's, this guy, what's this guy's name? Cooper Rafe. Um, he needs to go to jail. Because he he stole Drew's life, <laughs> he 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 impersonated and 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 it's insane. Lifted events. I mean, the things that happened in this movie have happened. The to girl's name Maggie in this movie, guys. Yeah. Okay, Drew Cannon time. That that's a little similar to. Anyway, uh, we'll flip just a little bit. But also tonally, it's it's exactly something i would like there's some but the thing with this movie the reason that like it's i know it's not the third best movie of the year it's just my third favorite because there is there are things wrong with it uh this is a first time filmmaker who's like insanely young working on a nano budget 23 i believe yeah Yeah. 23 not not a director by uh wanting to be one he just is an actor who wanted to act in something that was good so he had to make something good and uh he did he made the fuck out of something good um, people are the uh, much of the conversation around him because you know obviously we know he initially wanted to be an actor is like oh I hope he keeps directing I hope he keeps writing um, I think the writing job of the script is magnificent Dude, I think so it's so cringe well it's, it is so I want to talk about this because <laughs> cringe is something a that's very true like it makes you cringe and it's by design but that is it's a reductive word because that's not what it is like real life is just cringe it's yeah. very genuine is it's what it is. he i've i've really never seen a script that is so good at writing i think i said this in the chat while i was watching it because i was just blown away at he he's so good at writing bad conversations mm-hmm. like like conversations where the meaning of what someone's trying to say is lost by the time it gets over to the other person a second later. Like they don't, and yet the the conversation continues. So it's it just becomes two people kind of talking past each other, well, yet still continuing to talk. That's what first year of college is. That's exactly what it is, and that's also just what general life is and interactions are. If you are a very anxious person or withdrawn, depressed person. Um, but anxiety in particular, that's what it's like because you are overthinking so much of what you're saying that A, what you're saying isn't coming out as you intend and B, you're unable to take things in naturally because you're thinking about them twice over before you uh, formulate a response. So it's so, so uh, true to life yeah. how people talk in this movie, particularly in, I would say, the first half because the first half is way, way uh, more slowed down and measured than the rest of the movie. And I actually also think that that's a plus of the movie. It takes a turn exactly. at, at about maybe the halfway point. Yeah. The, the sort of like emotional part of the story really starts to kick in. And it's less of like just this, you know, link later bomb back esque hangout movie. 
and actually has like a real emotional yeah. through line. And, and I'm, that's when it hooked. Well, me. I'm really glad it is because a lot of the things that would could end up getting annoying. Um, like, for example, the the sort of like softer, like acoustic indie soundtrack that's going yeah. on in the first half. It's like it's like generic car seat headrest. I, I was yeah, I was starting to get okay. really annoyed by that. Uh, and that that sort of goes away. Also, just the general vibe of like college is hard. First you know, of all, the- I want to put some respect on Waxahachie and Girlpool's name. Uh, both of them that are on. No, I know. I'm talking more great. about the the oh, score. The score. The oh. score. Is, I think is Great bad. soundtrack in this. Movie. Yeah, the soundtrack is good. The score is bad. Um, but like when they first. But, but that's that's the thing about this movie is like it's bad, but it fits the movie. Like this is the kind of movie that we all wanted to make in college that every college kid wants to make yeah and and it it falls into some of the same conventions as to what that kind of movie well totally and that's that's why you could call it a non-essential watch because it is a story of uh of privilege totally um as is my life (laughs) yeah you know i'm a i'm a lucky human being like this but like being very anxious and very depressed in college, I think is more universal than uh, many people would want to admit. Like that, that's not just reserved to people who are uh, lucky enough to, for that to be their biggest problem. Even if it's not your biggest problem, that is still the problem of so many people. Um, but he, Cooper Rafe or Rife, I think it's pronounced. He also, because of this tonal switch about halfway through, he really really shocked me with how versatile he is as an actor in the second yeah. half because he's he, really good. well because he is playing this character he there's a through line of who the character is that's really well defined but the way he performs it changes so much it's so elastic and it always works and that's what shocked me because uh i thought maybe he's just good at going really small in the beginning i, th- I thought maybe he's just good at like what people might call mumblecore if you want to be reductive you know what i mean and then uh, when he is more into this and uh, Dylan Jalula, who we'll talk about, yes. um, yeah. is the girl. It, yeah, is not as much in the beginning. Like when they wake up the next day, uh, he's almost going like Zach Woods in like the office style. Like he's being like annoying and like cringe and weird, but in like a bigger way. And he's doing that really well. A whole different style of acting. Uh, and then it transitions to. Uh, just almost like a more like normal movie college guy character where he is just like freaking out about this and he's like you know he's talking to his roommate he's getting high and he does all of it really fluidly like it, it that's what sort of blew me away the most is that he his versatility uh comes to comes to the forefront in the second half of the movie Dylan Jalula uh who plays uh the love interest so she, I've actually followed her on Twitter for years because she is just a funny person like she she tweets like irony twitter stuff (laughs) and she's just like wholly hilarious um and she i didn't even know she was an actress to be honest and i had seen a couple things earlier this year that she was in a movie and i'd totally forgotten about it and she absolutely rules she was in um she was in a i first saw her in a her smell Uh, mm, she played like a small i didn't see that um i saw her in support the girls she's one of the ensemble in that she's she's so good in this she uh, uh wasn't the original choice for the role and it's not because of anything involving her ability it's just because like he didn't think that he could get her for the whole time 
And so he had someone else cast and then that person backed out and he was able to get Dylan because Dylan was supposed to play a much smaller part. Um, and she like fully nails this part, which is, it's, it's a tough part. It's harder than his part. Yeah. And his part, like the versatility he shows, that's hard too. But like this part, it has to be someone that you stay on board with understanding why he likes her so much, even though she is being cold to him. And to have this 23 year old twerp directing you his own script that he wrote (laughs) and you're making out with him. That's hard, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, just just the character. It's you know, it's it's a character that you need to see more of. It's the I. It's almost like Five Hundred Days of Summer, but like condensed to a day. Well, you know what I mean. Where like this this interaction meant a lot more to him than it did to her. But you can't blame her for that. Like that's not her fault. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's so. I think that. I mean, I'm not the first person to make this comparison, but it's. I mean, it shares a lot of its DNA with kicking and screaming. Not the Will Ferrell movie, the Noah Baumbach movie from 1985, where it is a college movie. It's a coming of age story in a lot of ways, where it is people trying to figure out what their life is. But where this movie really exceeds is that I think that like one of the biggest jumps that you have in your entire life is age 18 to 19 or 17 to 18, 18 to 19. Absolutely. Because that's when you realize like I have to live on my own and I have to figure out how to be a person, how to be independent. And that's something that this movie really captures well. And it's a genius move by Cooper to put uh, Dylan as a uh, sophomore. She is a year older than him. She knows what this lifestyle is like yeah. in a lot of different ways. Another thing this movie gets really right is that it doesn't fall into the trope of you go and have a lot of sex at college or you don't because you had bad upbringing. Like that is something that is just one of the most annoying things that I see in so many coming of age stories like this where it's like you can be fucked up and had like the best loving parents in the world to the point where it almost is a detriment to you because you don't know how to detach yourself from yeah. this family. That you Speaking have. of um, uh, his mom is played by Ernie, our girl, yeah, Amy, Amy Landecker from uh, transparent. Oh, transparent. Okay. Um, isn't she in togetherness? No, that's Amanda Pete. You're thinking of. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she is also in a, a serious man. Just like she's, I mean, stupid good and transparent like yeah. like she that her role in that proved to me because that that show is very naturalistic, especially in the first two seasons. Uh, and in this movie, she's she's pitching the same heaters like she is such a good naturalistic actress. I want to see her in so much more than I see her in. Um, obviously, she's a woman in her 40s in Hollywood. So like, good luck. <laughs> you know, she's great. Though. But my God, she's good. I crazy good the stuff some of the stuff that happens in this movie has happened to me like exactly well we because that's the the thing like me like hurt me well we like because if you know if you've been in college and if you've had your fair share of hookups you've been on both ends of this of course you i've been on both like i've been the dylan and i've been the connor Mm -hmm. in in a thing where like like it's meant more to me than it shouldn't it's meant less to me than the other person Mm -hmm. and uh, but when it collides, when they have that argument, yeah, that's like probably my favorite scene in the movie because you the thirteen get, going on thirty scene. Oh, I mean, <laughs> fucking incredible line. Okay, right. no, I, but, incredible. I, yeah. but but the idea 
of, uh, I mean, it's a little hand wavy that this argument would happen exactly as it does in this movie because, you know, real life isn't always like this. But the the general idea, the 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 thoughts that are being communicated through the dialogue are so pitch perfect mm-hmm. to what it's actually like. The this idea of like you of 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 men being stunted by emotion and Mm -hmm. how we feel like we can't be emotional because it's not manly or 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 it's somehow detrimental to our standing as men to be overly emotional yeah and then for women to be overly sexual and like and and for that sexuality to be destructive and and one and and for it to be perceived by a guy as inherently bad exactly. when it's when it's not but, but that's that's why that scene is so good because it's a clash of these two things that are true and false at the same time because mm. they're perceived completely differently by each party exactly and it, but it, it's but it's true to each person but it's destructive at the same time. yeah and speaking toward that scene in particular that's that's the other thing i want to say this is why i want him to keep writing uh movies or whatever he wants to write because there are certain really base small truths about human interaction that I've never seen portrayed before in a movie that he does. Um, and that's remarkable to me for such a young person. Uh, but the, the way that that argument feels to me, the way that it, you know, it, it, they're having it and then like they're forced to move settings because like they're in some dude's room (laughs) which is very funny so a lot of that has literally happened to me yeah that's so like a lot of but i was i was the guy whose room it was i was the guy with the donut with the sunglasses yeah bro it's like no but what are you guys talking about i want to laugh uh this is my room uh no i'm not that high (laughs) this is my room no but um so but like the idea of an argument happening and like you're you're mad at each other but then like something interrupts it and so you're forced to like move settings and like the feeling of being mad is sort of like still there but it's like gone a little bit and you gotta you, be performing and you're forced <laughs> to just sort of resume it even though you're both not even feeling it anymore and but he's like yeah so jennifer garner is in 13 going on 30 and uh like and th- then they resume that it and girl, then it gets yeah that girl jennifer gardner yeah and so then it gets like bigger from there that's just a little small truth i've never seen in anything before that is real if it's, you if you have an argument with somebody down to like the note of just like the random roommate i was thinking about you Ernest, a lot whenever watching the interactions with the roommate and yeah. uh how wow you what got the fuck with a random oh shout out dorms. to josh dude shout out to josh who kind You're of listening. reminds me a little bit of the guy who plays sam uh yeah, logan dude. miller total bro dude really honestly shout out to logan miller for a smaller role, i thought he was awesome he's so fucking good at playing a very specific college i guy. thought he was a really guy great. who's just there who's just like this is the time in my life to just get fucked up man i just gotta get fucked up and i might shit myself yeah and yet like it's doing it doesn't go it doesn't go too broad either because you do end up seeing that he doesn't really have anyone yeah. super close to him and he is like sad yeah <laughs> He is a sad man. I, I relate it to almost every single person. Exactly. It's just, it's really, place. really remarkable how fleshed out these people feel. And I loved how it ended because it, it felt earned, even though we just skipped over two and a half years worth of character development. Like it felt like we knew that that development was about to happen because they set it up. Yeah. I mean, this is a movie. I, I don't, I don't want to get too into it because I don't want to get into spoilers for this movie because I 
every person it's like four dollars on google just rent this movie like it or buy it for like ten dollars like it's if i was making the rewatchable list of the year like this would be my number one or number two movie because i fired this up again the other day and i was like ah oh, this yeah. movie is like my new comfort food. it just like, i just can watch this movie anytime. exactly now. it hits a ton of notes it's hyper specific to us in a lot of ways but in, it has a lot of universality it it hits a lot of notes in terms of it, it's it gets so small and personal and like tiny in terms of what it's revealing about the human condition. And then it also in a minute later will do broad comedy, you know, and that is tricky yeah. to, to have that fluidity of tone and still have one whole final product that doesn't feel stunted or still the, the deep emotional like exposition that happens to that kind of like fills in their backstories you know yeah. the whole thing with his dad and all of that like there is a lot more going on in this movie than i thought there would be exactly and I really appreciate it just that. yeah it just like like i said it's not it's non-essential in terms of like speaking to any particular moment but if you've ever felt depression or anxiety and or you've ever been in college you like this is going to speak to you in some sort of way. I promise. Sure. Yeah. Like it, it does a, a better job of capturing anxiety and depression than most movies I've ever seen, which I found surprising. And even more than, <laughs> I mean, it does do that, but even just the college experience of like, this is the modern college movie that isn't like project X or something right. like that. Exactly. Like this is- there are so many movies and shows that show college parties in ways that, are not real well, at happen. all. Nobody's no. jumping off a roof into a pool at like a party at UCF. Like exactly. this is what it. Well, it's, it's we wouldn't of, know. It's a bunch of people. No, we've been to a couple house parties that like one or two, and it's people just awkwardly like dancing in the living room, and it's just like kind of trying to make eye contact with somebody and hoping for something to happen. Do you? Well, I, but it never does. On the flip side, though. I think the truest to our experience of any movie was the movie Accepted starring Justin Long because we yeah. did attend a college that didn't actually exist. And like when we arrived, there was a guy who said, ask me about my wiener. He was in a hot dog suit. They said we and can major in anything. I major in skateboarding. Yeah, can, I majored in boobs. Can I can I just ask one thing before we move on? Um, Cooper Rafe, I guess the, the character, Alex. Yes. He, he has a podcast after college, right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So what what is that like? Can we have that guy on? Does do you think? He, do you, does he have more listeners we, than us? Do we think that he's like a, a Pete Holmes type, or do no. we think he's well? What is he's just like? He's like talking to like somebody important. He's just like, yeah, this actually reminds me a lot about when my dad died. Uh, <laughs> no, he's 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 a he's a we bought a bike type of. Well, guy. what's his major? I don't think they say. No, they don't. She's yeah. she's in theater. She's yeah. in theater. And he's, he's just he's like. probably like undeclared. He's taking a history He d- graduates class. undeclared. He's taking a history <laughs> class in his junior year. Well, that means he's doing something very generic. No, that's, but that's a lie. Which that. was, he's like, man, he, he blew me away because he's so good at being broad funny and small funny. Yeah. And that's hard. Dude, according to uh, Google, I guess, this had a $15,000 budget. Yeah, yeah, micro budget. Holy fuck! Yeah. And it won the grand jury prize at South by Southwest. Well, that's yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Ugh. we need this man needs to be at the top of our lists of like people to watch. Although, it's one of those things where you have to wonder what he does next because he's done something very personal to him. But can he do something different? Right. Because his as his normal life experiences end at age 23. Now he is f- like 
a director. But he is he does not have a normal life for the rest of his life. Now. I just he I cannot ho- base anything off of his I own experience now. Yeah. I hope that he can continue to find creative inspiration. He doesn't get sucked up into like the Marvel machine or something. Is no. it just like, oh, he's directing an episode of The Mandalorian? No, no, <laughs> nah, no way. I, I guarantee you though, he's gonna start getting those fucking phone calls. This is what Marvel and what did he's he gotta make something yeah, else. Find guys shit down. Some, he's well, he'll have to make something else because fifteen thousand isn't enough to prove that he can handle a budget. Yeah. But when it, but actually winning having some critical acclaim at that young an age some produce some production studio is going to come to him and yeah. be like here's five million dollars just for yourself and then to a 150 million dollar budget are you interested yeah and by the way we need to finish talking about this movie it's not the last movie we're talking about but uh more props need to go to dylan jalula than we even said she's, I, yeah, she she's, she's so a revelation good. she's so good if you read her twitter you know she's like naturally one of the funnier people on earth she rocks yeah House. um drew's number three my number eight and number eight we're on number two top two my number two is sound of metal fucking should i leave Ford again me. I, I, I won't reveal anything. I'll just, yeah. I'll just go pee a little bit. <laughs> okay. Sound this, of Metal. This this movie absolutely floored me. So this is my favorite performance of the year. Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed. I'm, I'm riding in right now with my Riz Ahmed flag for best actor because this is just... I knew that Riz Ahmed had a performance like him in this, but still, just seeing this on screen, the layers to his performance that he gives is just unfucking believable and this movie really is just it comes down to him like this movie it makes or breaks on his performance i i feel like this movie is unlike anything else i've ever seen but it doesn't like it doesn't overtly feel that way like there's nothing you can't point to it and and think like okay that's something you know completely unique it it, it's not inherently like weird or experimental or anything like that but we don't get many stories like this we don't get many like fully point of view stories about somebody losing their hearing or or dealing with a disability in this way or being inducted into a side of society that we don't really have a connection to in in our day-to-day like we need more stories like this. We need more movies like this that show us what it's like to be alive in a different way than the average person. And the way this movie captures that is incredible because how it's explicitly stated, it's not a disability. That's not what deaf people see being deaf as like, they just see it as a, as a way of life as a different way of living. And I was so so sucked into this thing it is so emotional it is so heartbreaking it's terrifying yeah and horrifying the the As opening act both of us have experience in bands uh it is the ringing very haunting the buzzing or the, even just if you go to a lot of concerts you know what that's like to just not really be able to hear things right for a day like that is i mean yeah. the basic so the basic premise of this movie is that uh riz ahmed uh ruben uh, his character is a metal drummer and he loses his hearing uh, after a concert. Yeah. And, and the, the movie opening takes off from there. And the opening kind of chunk is, is so horrifying. Yeah. 
Especially, I mean, because that is, you, that's what the movie is. You know what that's what what it is going into it. So, kind of the lead up to that is haunting, to say the least. It's it's pretty I, tough to watch as somebody who fears losing my hearing. Like yeah. I am so terrified. Like I deal with that shit so often in my life where it's like certain things just like cause me a little bit of sensitivity in my hearing and it's fine. I've been to the doctor. They told me I'm fine, but it's like, it's still a fear, Yeah, you know, because of my exposure to concerts and live music and instruments and shit. And I honestly thought that I wasn't going to be able to watch this movie because I was so scared that it was going to hit so close to home. And it does. It does hit fucking close to home, but then it keeps going and it shows you a different side that you've never seen before. And it is transcendent, but in a way that's very small, that's, that's like a general theme. in, in a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight, incredibly small and minute performance base, character base. Can we talk about, um, our guy Joe. Oh, uh, Paul Racy. What a fucking performance, I, man. So he is so fucking good. And it leads his performance kind of leads into why I think that uh Darius Martyr, who plays who is the director of this movie, um, who is really his only other notable credit is that he was the writer for Place Beyond the Pines, a movie that That's I know right. you and I both fucking love. Yeah. Um This is better than that. This this is better maybe than Place Beyond it's the so Pines. It's so much more refined. It's it's got this singular idea that it's trying to get across. But what he does in this movie is something that, I mean, it's done in other films before. This isn't the first one, but it's probably the best execute is the use of closed captioning when you need it. Like we are very much ASL Ruben's heads for most, must much of the movie. And whenever people first start signing to him, there's no closed captioning. We have no idea what they're talking about. We feel just as lost as he does. And as he starts to get kind of more acclimated in this community, we see closed captioning. We know what they're talking about. And that directorial choice is just like a fucking chef's kiss perfection of how this movie works so well and how it just, pun no pun intended, sings. Like, it really does just work so well as a character study. And this person kind of coming to grips, trying to go exhaust every other option possible because they cannot face the reality of not ever being able to hear again. The sound design is expert level. That's the part that is kind of experimental a little bit because I've never heard a movie do the things that this does with the sound design. How it fully puts you in his point of view, point of hearing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, god damn it's this so is, good honestly of all the movies that we talked about this was the one that I wanted to see in theaters the most that was kind of I was yeah. really mad that just because of the sound design I'm glad that I had a sound system at home and I watched I watched this I waited till it was like dark outside and I had like all the the surround sound going to hear it and crank the noise up and it did work pretty well for that, but I still miss being in a theater to be able to hear that. I don't want to spoil what happens in the final act of this movie, but the sound design of that is um, unlike anything that I've ever heard in my life. 
It's so effective. I I was absolutely floored by this movie. When I was talking at the beginning of the episode about how like because so much stuff got pushed out of the movie schedule this year, smaller movies rose up to the the to fill sort of the void a little bit. This is what I'm talking about. Like this is a tiny tiny movie that otherwise would have been completely overshadowed mm-hmm. by bigger stuff. And it deserves the spotlight. Yep. It's a, it's something that you would have been happy to see it get nominated for a couple spirit awards in a normal year. And, and now, now there like, is actually there actually is a chance that Riz Ahmed could be nominated for an Oscar, which would never happen in a normal best, calendar year. Best and picture, dude. Let's fucking go. I, I mean, yes, I'm 100 percent for it. This is one of the best movies of the year, hands down, like bar none. I fucking love, love this movie. I've been kind of, I haven't revisited it uh, in the two months or so since it first came out because it's going to be a tough rewatch. It really affected me the first time that I saw it. Is the thing like this? We talked about some fun hangs, and this isn't, I would not call this a fun hang. It's intense, dude. Olivia Cook, dude. We haven't mentioned her. It's not either. There is, it's not wholly leaves you in a completely sad place there is a a place of acceptance in which the movie leaves you that yeah. does work really well yeah that's the, the whole point it's trying to arrive at olivia cook i think olivia, is in a really amazing. small part yeah like she's only in a handful of scenes but she is really fucking good she's so much better than she was wasted in uh ready player one <laughs> yikes yikes well that's sound of metal all right my number two is a movie that's uh, we devote a whole episode to on this podcast. Um, I think that it is one of the best things that he has done in years. It is. I'm thinking of ending things. It's my number two. Your number two. Yeah. It's on my list. Yeah. I, I knew it was not going to make Ernest list. You made that point abundantly clear before. I admire it. I, but, I rewatched uh, this I movie. I didn't enjoy it. I rewatched this movie and it works even better on a rewatch, like really knowing where this movie is going and being able to pick up on all the little details. I think that that's kind of an underrated thing with Charlie Kaufman that we give credit to other auteur filmmakers as like, oh, yes, on rewatch, you can notice that the wallpaper is a signal for the future and stuff. And I feel like people don't give that much credit to Charlie Kaufman. But the thing is that. Charlie Kaufman overwrites everything and not in the way that Christopher Nolan overwrites Mm. stuff, but he overthinks everything that he is writing. And I think in this movie, it's kind of the best version of an original screenplay or of a screenplay that he wrote and that he directed. I am happy that no other person directed this film for him because I don't think any other person could. Nobody else could get the vision of this movie right. Like, Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, that's the thing is like something like Eternal Sunshine, like you another director could it makes sense that they could tease uh, the more broad appeal aspects out of that movie. This movie doesn't have any broad appeal aspects. So like, why would anyone else direct it? There's nothing there's no angle for another director to come in and like get anything out of it. That's not Kaufman because the whole movie is just so Kaufman. It's insane. Uh, So, yeah, that's the right choice. Um, the movie itself, it's, it's hard to critique on like the regular paradigm that you critique something because it is, uh, it's a dream. Like it's, it's intentionally very confusing and cloudy and opaque and bizarre. 
and uh the the logic of it is non-linear even when the the chronology of it is so you're so much of the time you're just left to observe and come to your own conclusions rather than like know exactly what's happening and a lot of people don't like that and that's totally fine uh but i absolutely love it yeah i mean shout out to uh lucas zoll who is the uh cinematographer for this movie who shoots the fucking hell out of it. He also shot Cold War, which is another one of the most beautiful movies of the last few years. But the look of this film is unlike anything else that I've ever seen in that not only is it gorgeous, but it feels otherworldly, which is exactly what this movie is trying to portray. It is not just a standard story of two of a Midwestern couple going to see his parents like that is not at all what this movie is trying to portray at all it is willing to completely shift genres and shift back and to the point where it's almost nauseating even on a rewatch like it's kind of an upsetting movie to watch not just from a story perspective but even just like tonally while watching it it hurts your head a little bit but I mean that in the most positive way possible. That's something that only Charlie Kaufman and maybe like a couple other people alive could do to create that feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's just unbelievable. Of course, Jesse Buckley, um, my God, like I still have not had a chance to see um, uh, Wild Rose. Wild Rose yet. No, I haven't had a chance to see that, but. Um, she's a star dude she is a star she is going to be an a-lister in the next five years like hands down i she just has a look about her that is unmistakable and whenever you see her on the screen you cannot take your eyes off of her which it's kind of funny because in a lot of ways jesse plemons is kind of the opposite (laughs) of her and not that jesse plemons is an incredible actor which he is but like jesse plemons is one of the most normal looking actors alive. Like he just, you could just see him walking down the street and not notice that it's Jesse Plemons. And I think that it's a really, um, really smart choice by uh, Kaufman to kind of cast these two alongside each other. And it really feeds into what this story ends up becoming of where it's a story of just kind of a schlub, a nobody and this, dream girl of his that he ended up with i i'd be willing to give jesse buckley best actress in in the drew oscars yeah for this because i'm excited for the wabamis this year it's going to be exciting to it's going to be a nail biting the is, is colin helping you out is he contributing what's yeah, going we on gotta, with that? where's that wabamis at i don't know because if i'm you you are the the i know the jimmy fallon of of we bought a mic the thing is if i'm doing them that i have to watch more movies <laughs> I didn't watch enough this year. You could you could include TV in them. Oh, totally. It's like the Golden Globes. Yeah, yeah, but then you know I don't want them to be the Globes. I want them to be the Oscars. We don't want them to be the Globes. We want them to be the Wabamis. Um, but as as I think this is one of the highest difficulty level roles ever put to screen. Period. In the history of film, it's a movie where you almost have to think like, did they shoot this a week later so that the actors had time to refresh for this six-minute sequence that we're about Just to go through? To to understand the variety of tones we're shifting through the overall, the overall like there there's so much to consider when performing her lines in this. 
uh, I couldn't begin to wrap my head around her her prep process for this part. Uh, and she knocks it out of the fucking park. And you know, there's you can give credit to Plemons and Kaufman for casting her and writing the part, but to execute that role is harder than anything else that I saw this year, period. Like it's, it's just like an impossible yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, threads needle. Like it's crazy. Right. Riding in a car with Jesse Plemons would make me think of ending things for sure. Yeah. Would that impossible? Would, would that I, Plemons? I, that would I suck. Mean, I would d- throw devoted, myself out the window. We devoted a whole episode to this. Uh, so I don't want to go on for too long, but also Tony Collette, just and David Thewlis and David Thewlis, two of the greatest actors that we have on this world, are just giving unbelievable roles. I really love uh, Colby Menifee, who has a smaller role in this movie and then plays uh, a historical figure at a certain point in a car um, that works really, really well. Um, shout out to uh, shout out to her. I think that uh, she is just fucking unbelievable um as well as this entire movie uh and also just a shout out to um pigs yeah shout out to pigs kaufman dude i'm thinking of ending things is hunter and drew's number two this is the year of pauline kale that's all that i'll say okay because between between this and mank my number one i i I feel like i might have to explain myself a little bit here oh boy but it is the number one movie that I saw in 2020. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Well, what the that's hell, not, man? I, that's bullshit. That's a 2019 release. I, I saw that was, it. I, after, that was on my list last year. I saw it, it after got a we wide did release in 2019. I saw it after in theaters. After we did our best of 2019, this is disgusting. Episode. This is bullshit. I'm gonna leave. I demand. I, I'm thinking of ending things. With you. This is a movie that is an absolute home run 10 out of 10, and it deserves a spot Ugh. as number one. Well, it okay. doesn't deserve to be number two below Parasite. Well, fuck you. If I, if, yeah, if I knew I could do that and cheat, that, then you I, can do whatever you want. It's okay. My, num- my number one is fucking uh, Basic Instinct. I watched it this year. <laughs> You know what I mean? The, no, it, like if I were including that, that would be my number one for this year too, easily. Yeah, like that movie rocks so hard. I didn't know that we were just picking movies out of other years. Well, it got a release in 2020. My favorite movie. I saw 20, it in 2020. My favorite movie of 2020 was The Godfather Part Two. I it got a release, a theatrical release in 2020. I saw it in 2020 in the theater, and it absolutely floored me yeah it's perfect. it rocked me it's inc- it, yeah that's that would be it's my number one it's my number one everyone okay it's my fucking number one i guess i'm telling you guys <laughs> this movie does not belong as second fiddle to parasite for 2019 it is wholeheartedly a hundred percent stone cold fucking masterpiece filmmaking celine siama's portrait of a lady on so fire. are you moving it because it's worse than parasite i don't think it's worse than Parasite. so would you put it above parasite then they're like on the same level essentially that's yeah that's the thing and it's, it doesn't deserve to be is it's all, knocked down a, a tier I, because we're trying to rank things it deserves to be number one and 
It's like kind of stupid that that movie and Parasite came out in the same year that like two of the best foreign films ever just came out the same year as each other. I watched it after we did our best of 2019 episode. And there's been other times when I've retroactively amended my list. Like <laughs> Cold War was one of those where like we saw it after the you fact. You should just save this for a retcon episode to throw up there. I'm... I'm saving I'm saving us the trouble. I'm doing it right now. Look, I had I had Portrait of Lady on Fire on my top ten of twenty nineteen. I don't know about you guys. This is this I, is yeah, like but you didn't watch it in the theater. You watched the screener. I watched the screener. This is like, tenet yeah. shit. <laughs> You're <laughs> fucking with the timeline. I, I it's if Hunter's, a pincer movement. If if Ernie's list from last year comes into contact with his list from this year, we don't know what's gonna happen. So please don't touch each other. Like I mentioned earlier, I think that you have to sacrifice your number one spot and you have to put Doolittle in your number one spot now. Like I mentioned earlier when I was talking about Invisible Man, the movies left us in 2020. The movies had to be shut down because if you go to the movies, you're risking um, certain death, if not irreparable pulmonary damage. <laughs> this was a time before then. And it was during the year 2020, <laughs> of which we are doing a best of episode right now. All right. And, okay. And it You're is not going to have us arguing with you that Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a masterpiece. Yeah, we all like, know is. Yeah, it is. You're not the only one stumping for it. You're just like putting it in the wrong year. <laughs> I saw it in 2020. I knew I was going to have to explain myself. I saw in, myself in the, in the in the mirror in 2020. Does that make the list? <laughs> yes. I wish. It wasn't captivating. It, it, it was in my it was in my bottom. It five. was the cinematography was not great. It needs and deserves a number one spot. Okay. That's the that's okay. the thing. All right. That, that's, that's the thing. Fine. Then give it you gave it to it. That that's fine. You're right. It's look, so movie, good. Look, here's the thing is that this movie is a masterpiece. We talked if, about it. If I'm putting episode, it in was, this year, it's one if it's our it, most listened to episode of 2020. I know. If I'm putting it in this year, then it is my number one. I'm just not. Um, but I agree with you totally. It's which is it fine. Rules. I'm not I'm not making All you right. guys put it on your list because <laughs> I put it on my list. This is this is the most this is the most egregious act ever performed on a We Bought a Mic. And I love it. And that includes any slurs. <laughs> may have, that may includes have. you, uh, no, Bill, Bill Simmons, anti-Semitic. Like filing for a lawsuit against uh, Sly Stallone to uh, interrogate his his activities. Hey, that's in the worst. That's you're you're, yeah, you're stepping on oh, his that investigative. You might have to bleep all of this out. That's yeah, that's journalism. No. That's spotlight. I'm spotlight, <laughs> but spotlight. for Sly Stallone pooping on girls. Anyway, this movie rules. It rules. Yeah. Watch it, it everybody. It's it the is. best movie. It's on Hulu right now. Just go fucking watch it. It's one of the better movies that there are. It yeah. is <laughs> so one of those that sticks with you. It really fucking sticks with you. It does. On a visual level, on a performance level, on, on a, a thematic level. It, it's just so fucking perfect. I wish we had movies like this more often, but we don't. And that's why sometimes we have to uh, pull a little curveball here and put it at number one of the year it was viewed in and it was released in. Okay? So okay. I feel happy about my choice here. Okay, good. Don't you dare take it away from I'm me. I'm glad you yeah, feel happy. Yeah, you know what? Sure. 
Everybody deserves to feel happy. There ain't nothing like that green dress, baby. Yeah. <sighs> What's your number one? <laughs> My number one is Silence of the Lambs. Um, <laughs> released in 1992. Um, <laughs> uh, should I put number one as Stop Making Sense? Uh, the Talking Heads. You see, you see the wall right here. The 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 listeners can't see it, but it is a beautiful frame of the film Portrait of a Lady on Fire by the Ocean. Released in the year 2020 in theaters. It leaves the year in terms of serving looks. Hunter, what's your number one? Is it American Utopia? Same as it ever was. Yeah. Same as it ever was. My number one is... Um, Burning down the house. It's not traditionally a movie is the thing. It is a uh, stage adaptation of the Broadway play. It is American Utopia. Uh, well, technically, this was a stage play that was released before the year 2020 on Broadway. So, but it was filmed in the year 2020, and no, it, was it wasn't. It, well, it was. It was, <laughs> it was filmed, filmed in the the year. It 2019. was actually released to audiences in 2020, unlike Portrait of the Empire, which technically got a full-on wide release in 2019. Not in our neck of the woods. Yeah, I'm sorry that we. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's American Utopia, David Byrne. Um, this is, I've now watched American Utopia, I think, five times. Wow. Um, this is, uh, because I just throw it on just to listen to the music, to listen to everything. This is, I mean, if I'm like doing a rewatchability rankings, then this is number one and Shithouse is probably number two, just because I can't get enough of this. Talking Heads, I've always absolutely love talking heads but really in the last year talking heads has kind of pierced my top 10 bands of all time um that i just think that they're unlike anything else they are revolutionary and david byrne is at the helm of all this and the thing is that even post talking heads days david byrne still fucking got it even in his older age this works um in an unbelievable way partially because of the songs because he can't fall back on throwing out something like uh this must be the place or um um burning down the house burning down the house i mean there's so many just absolutely incredible ones in here toe jam slippery people once in a lifetime of course but i think that the songs that are from the album uh american utopia released in 2018 and for some of his other solo work works really fucking well. Everybody's coming to my house is just incredible. And it's a song that, to be honest, I hadn't heard this year. I didn't really listen to American Utopia, the album. And it fucking bangs. And not only is this just a great concert movie, um, there really is a tonal through line to this movie where... David Byrne really is trying to say something uh, and say a lot of things really uh, about race and about class. But really what it comes down to is what the human experience is and connectivity. And that resonated even more this year in a year in which we've been more disconnected than we ever have since the invention of the Internet, that we are now at a point where pe more and more people are working from home or just aren't being able to see their friends or loved ones. 
social unrest, complete social unrest. And that's what this movie is. It's trying to, there's these little monologues that David will give in between some of his songs where he's talking about going from everything from the birth to our society now and what we can kind of learn from each other to adapt and to survive and to thrive. And it just works really well. Um, of course, this is directed by Spike Lee. So we all have a Spike Lee movie on our list, just not the same Spike Lee movie. Um, and it isn't just one of those things where this feels like a paycheck or something like that. You can feel Spike Lee's influence, not just in uh, the way that this is shot, which it is just absolutely fucking beautiful one of the most gorgeous things i've ever seen in my life but in the story that he's trying to tell you could tell that resonated with spike lee there of course um is a cover a janelle monet cover in here uh that he plays live which is one of the most powerful moments that i've seen in tele in uh movies or television in a very very long time that really fucking struck a chord with me and it's just, it's a masterpiece in every single way. I think that this stands alongside Stop Making Sense. Um, it might not be as much as a fun party as Stop Making Sense is. Um, Stop Making Sense is probably a better, just very down-the-middle concert movie. Stop Making Sense is the best concert movie ever fucking made. Uh, well, also, shout to Jonathan Demi for that one, too. But this has more to say about society than stop making sense is there's a reason why this was put on broadway and why it is so effective for so many people and i think that this is just a stunning masterpiece even if you aren't the biggest talking heads fan or you have never really given them a shot i think that this is absolutely a must watch also just the set design the costumes it's so like minimalistic but they do they get a lot done with such little i mean the choreography is unlike anything else i know drew you saw this performance live yeah um, but just seeing that on a broadway stage especially this isn't uh in like one of the huge broadway theaters either where this is played this is in a one of kind of the smaller theaters that's on Broadway, like you can tell the stage is not very big and there's like 20 people on stage that are all kind of navigating around each other that are freed from standing up besides beside holding their instruments or playing with their instruments stationary and they can move freely. And that works so much more. And David even says at one point during the performance, like I realize that there's something different in life than when you look at a car or when you look at a house and when you look at a human and i wanted to capture what it was like to look at humans where you feel something different a human looking at another human and that's why this is all stripped down that's why you're just seeing us walk freely on the stages it's because it is supposed to mimic real life it's supposed to take down these walls that we build up around each other and leave just you and me. And it just, it's incredibly powerful and it just, it works so fucking well. I can throw this. I, (laughs) whenever we do our, uh, our Spotify wrapped of the year, I'm going to be interested to see where, uh, this album ends up on my, uh, 
if it ends up in my top five the, because I've been listening to this so far. Is it much. the album album or the Broadway cast? The Broadway record? cast album. Okay. Um, which also, I mean, I've been diving into just also a ton of Talking Heads and David Byrne as well. Mm. But yeah, I mean, this is, it's just a masterpiece in every fucking sense of the word. Hunter's number one. And it was released this year. Oof. Oof. We can't know who that was directed toward. <laughs> um, But my number one is Parasite. <laughs> my number one is minari hell yeah would you believe it um i haven't seen it i know and i think that this deserves an episode eventually so i'm not going to yeah, talk much about schedule. it it's, it's Let, gonna need to be this and nomadland deserve their own I, yeah i uh was blown away in every sense uh by the movie it's a lot of thoughts come to mind that revolve around, like, require no spoilers whatsoever. One of them is that if we were to draft, like, the next 25 years of an actor's career, Stephen Yoon, he needs to be in the top 10, and not even just because of his performance chops, but he the choices he makes, the roles he takes, the people he chooses to work with is is unmatched. Like, it's impeccable, the choices he makes. He's in with like the the indies. He's wor- He's been in a fucking bong movie. He uh, was he was in a Lee Chang Dong movie a couple years ago. It was one of my favorite movies of the year, Burning. Yeah. So like he knows what the fuck he is. He is making the right. Choices. I know he's he's done the big like popcorn event TV show with Walking Dead, which like broke him in America. I feel like he was a little wasted in Okja. Um, like he doesn't have yeah, that much. To oh, do. totally. But like in terms of just like making a choice, like having the agent working with to Bob. make yeah, 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 making the calls he of who to him. work he with. He was in Sorry to Bother You. Like he's yeah, he's the fucking right great. And, and then, but then also he's in with like indie comedy in America in this weird way where he popped up a lot in comedy Bang Bang, Dude, and then I yeah. think you should leave. Yeah, yeah, that is the leave. best. Where he's in like one of the best sketches of the last decade. Uh, in like the basically the lead role of it uh, out of out of kind of nowhere like he just is everywhere that you want to look you know um so his his decision making as an actor is just crazy good um but if if i'm giving out drew oscars uh for this movie the one i'm giving out is to uh yoon uh yu jung yes. who yeah oh. plays uh, yeah the the grandmother of the movie um i thought that we wouldn't get another great grandmother like a perf- grandmother performance on par with the farewell after that and it, it has vibes of that it's just this effervescent like energetic uh grandma with this childlike energy uh she's she is transcendent in this role uh this is a uh movie that it's made by lee isaac chung who uh it, it's pretty autobiographical to him it's it's very similar to his own story he grew up this is a movie about a family of korean immigrants uh making a farm and you know all the successes and failures of that and the effect that it has on the family itself uh and lee isaac chung was a korean oh he was an immigrant who grew up on a farm he was essentially the alan kim character uh who plays david yeah he he's the small child in this which by the way one of the best kid performances i've seen in a really yeah long time. it's just so this is so almost almost good. like a honey boy situation it's yeah but it's like, like yeah but no because it's not <laughs> if you it's not because you would never guess that it was based on someone specific's life and you would never guess which character's life it is like it just seems like a movie yeah. honey boy 
I would be like, well, clearly the, whoever made this fucking movie is that kid. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not, this is an ensemble movie. It's not just about this little kid at all. Um, and it's, it's so well fleshed out. It looks just absolutely gorgeous. Um, true ensemble, just crazy good performances all around. This guy named, I think, Will, yeah, Will Patton mm-hmm. is freakishly good at playing a crazy guy. Um, it, it's just, it's beautiful. It rips your fucking guts out. Uh, that's what ended up putting it toward the, at the top of my list is that it ripped my soul out watching this movie. Like it, it, the emotional effect of it was beyond anything else I watched this year, period. Another thing that, I mean, it's not really a spoiler necessarily to say, but I think that one thing that works really well about this movie is that it doesn't become a classic. I'm trying to think of the words to put on this, but it doesn't become a classic uh, awards, quote unquote, movie uh, in that there isn't like a big scene, a big like racial tension scene or anything like that, because that would feel disingenuous. There isn't a three billboards moment in this movie. Like where it's just like this is just a written thing that did not actually ever happen. No, it's more people. Uh, you you get to see casual uh, racism aimed at the children, like unintentional racism, right. where yes. like other kids are just being racist where to them because they have no clue. Yeah, that they're it's, being racist. it's more of like ignorance than it is. Yeah, there's straight racism. Yeah, there's an awesome scene where this this girl says to the daughter, "Hi, um, where are you from, Korea? Okay, stop me when I say something from your language, and then just says a bunch of like, says, like racist noises. Words. Yeah, yeah, and then like another point where there's a kid going up to the wall again. They're just like, "Why are your eyes so closed?" No, he says, "Uh, like, yeah, yeah." It's just, it's it's a lot more true to life. You're right. It's not it's not aiming at saying something uh beyond reality. It's mm-hmm. it's aiming it's aimed at like replicating someone's actual experience and what it's actually like to be an outsider in the South in uh, this time period, but also not just a true outsider in every sense of the word, not like a one dimensional life. Uh, They are accepted, uh, you know, in certain ways into the community. It just is different. And uh, the movie itself is just brilliantly done. The score is is oh, so, so beautiful. It's just gorgeous. It goes hand in hand with the look of the movie since it's taking place in this rural area. It feels very natural. The movie just feels natural. It, it has a flow to it that is just uh, lovely. It's a great movie. I can't wait to see it. I'm really excited for it. Yeah. Um, maybe it'll end up on my best of 2021 list. Who knows? Let's get into honorable mentions. Well, Hunter... Elephant in the room. You didn't put Mank on your list. So, yeah, let's talk about it. That's my number 11. That mm. was on my list this whole time. What happened? No, so here's the thing is that I still stand by that I think Mank is I think he's scared. fucking incredible. I think Hunter's scared. Boy State kicked it off, to be perfectly honest. Okay. I had it even high. I had it at, like, number seven. And then I moved that on there, and I was like, well, we devoted a whole episode to Mank, and I still really love that movie, but there's other movies I want to highlight that we just haven't talked about enough, and Mank is my number 11. Um, Mank number is... Number 12 is... Oh, sorry. You want to say something about Mank? Mank's at the bottom end of the movies I saw this year. I'm sorry. I think Mank is fucking incredible. Z- absolutely zero effect on my brain. I've now like, seen Mank uh, two times, and it works really well, and I'm probably going to watch it a third time. Before I just, like, what do, we, what do you feel? Like, I don't feel anything watching it. I think it's great. You know? I think that Jack Fincher knows how to write a script. Um, 
Number 12 was another one that was really fucking tough for me to cut, and that's Time. Have you guys seen the documentary no. Time? No. It is extremely powerful. Um, it is following a couple, uh, specifically a woman um, whose husband uh, is sentenced to 60 years in jail for robbery. And her fight to get that sentence uh, diminished. Uh, and the story picks up about 20 years into the sentence. And it kind of is a 90 minute or an 81 minute movie. It's really short, but trying to capture in that 81 minutes, what 20 years of a person's life is using a lot of footage that she shot to show to him whenever they did these little visits, extremely fucking powerful movie from Garrett Bradley. Um, 13 is another doc that I have. Dick Johnson is dead. Um, really kind of took me by surprise. This movie, uh, it is, uh, directed by uh, Kristen Johnson, who's a filmmaker who I really admire. She directed a camera person back in 2016, which is a really interesting uh, documentary that looks to kind of turn the story on the people behind the camera. Dick Johnson is a movie about her father, Dick Johnson, who is now 86, who is she's trying to grapple with what his death is like. And her coming to terms with it is by filming very comedic fashions, uh, portraying his death, it using the real life Dick Johnson. Damn. And it's one of the most unique documentaries I've ever seen in my life. It's really powerful, especially if you have any loved one, he knew who has died and kind of her trying to come to grips with it as a filmmaker and him as a psychiatrist, trying to come to terms with death to himself. Really powerful. Um, Another couple movies. Uh, Got to give a shout to Don Hertzfeld. Uh, wrapped up his World of Tomorrow trilogy this year. I have you guys seen any Don Hertzfeld it, movies? It used to be on Netflix, but I think they're all yeah. gone. Now. You have to rent them on Vizio, on Vimeo. Is the mm, only way we've all seen. It's uh, such a beautiful day. Yeah, it's such a beautiful day. Is one of the most unique movies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, movies incredible. Uh, I saw the first World of Tomorrow back in like 2015. Yeah, whenever that first came out. Never got around to seeing the second one. So I watched through all three of those earlier this week. And the third one might be the best of the entire trilogy. Like it's absolutely incredible. I just can't wait to see what Don Hertzfeld does next. He's a master. Um, next, I have a Possessor, uh, which is... I really wanted to see this. Directed by Brandon Cronenberg, uh, David Cronenberg's son. Uh, And let me just say, I'm really excited for what the future of the Cronenberg family line is. Uh, Some of the best makeup that I've seen in years. It is absolutely incredible. Really, really interesting story that I've never seen quite portrayed on film before. Um, Like what he's trying to go for. It's. If you look at the poster and stuff like that, it looks like it's very hard horror, but it's a lot closer to hard sci-fi than it is hard horror, um, if that invites more people to check it out. There is still some major body horror because it is a Cronenberg movie, but yeah. Um, another couple I wanted to shout out, Baccarat. Uh, I saw this. See this. This is great. This was on my list until I had to like do some reshuffling. Uh, I really love this. It's like a little bit tough to crack a little bit. Yeah. Like what's actually it happening. It really takes its time to get going, especially if you go in raw, not really knowing anything. You yeah. kind of have to figure out where it goes. Um, Yeah. Another one, One Night in Miami, uh, directed by Regina King. Um, This is a movie that will, I think, 100% make a late Oscar push uh, for awards. 
because this has all the elements of a awards-worthy movie. And I don't mean that just in negative connotation because this movie would be very deserving of awards. Um, Regina King is directs the fucking hell out of this movie. It's written by Kent Powers, um, who does a really, really great job uh, with writing this and also with Soul, uh, co-writer on Soul, um, and the performances. Performances are really the highlight of this movie. Um, the quadro of a uh, um, the quadro. I don't know for a for quartet. Some, for some. <laughs> the the, the barbershop quadro. The, the high quadro um, of uh, Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke, uh, who are played by Kingsley Benadir, Eli Gore, Aldous Hodge, and Leslie Odom Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. We sang his praise on Hamilton Pod. Uh, he's so talented. He's a fucking dude. star. Uh, Aldous Hodge. Of course, we just talked about him not too long ago. He is also just unbelievable as Jim Brown. Eli Gore, I feel like, has been like the least talked about person. But as somebody who has watched a lot of interviews with um, Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, and watched a documentary uh, when we were kings uh, earlier this summer, he gets the mannerisms and the voice of Muhammad or of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, more accurate than just about any other actor that I've ever seen in my life. He is so good. But the real standout and the guy who I think has real, real nomination and possible win potential is Kingsley Benadir, who plays Malcolm X, um, giving a very complex performance of this time in his life. The time that it's covering is the night that after um, Cassius Clay upset Sonny Liston to become the world champion and the night that he decides he wants to turn to the church of Islam at the same time, Malcolm X is actually starting to be pushed out of the church of Islam for being too radical for some of the things that he's saying. And the complexity in the performance that Kingsley Benadir plays is just really, really captivating. Um, definitely recommend that one. Uh, it's on, uh, Amazon right now, I believe along with an Amazon original. Yeah. Along with the, the vast of night and, uh, yeah, that's about it. Oh, one more. I just want to give a shout out. It's not on the same level, but a movie that I really love, and I hope that leads to better things for this guy. Uh, Freaky, a movie came out uh, in October or so this year. Yeah, it was the a Vince VOD Vaughn. movie. Yeah. I think I really hope this leads to a Vince Vaughn renaissance. This is the best performance that Vince Vaughn has given Vaughnissance. in over a uh, in like ten years. He is so fucking good in this movie. We talked about Palm Springs, how it's Groundhog Day, but blank. This is Freaky Friday, but horror. Um, and it works really fucking well. Really, really good. This movie. Freaky Friday the 13th? Yeah. Yeah. Drew, you have any honorable mentions? No. I They've all been covered. Um, Let's see if there's any that I have in terms of honorable mentions that haven't been mentioned Mangrove, yeah, I think, Mangrove. was in my top 10 until I had to rethink a Same, couple Same, actually. That was up there for me. Um, I talked about it a little bit earlier. But, really good uh, movie. Yeah, it's just it's really, really great. It's way more like straight down the middle than Lovers Rock, um, but it rocks. Yeah. Uh, another Round, the Mads Mikkelsen joint. It's a Danish movie about a, a group of kind of middle-aged dudes who take it upon themselves to have a consistent blood alcohol content 
uh, that is uh, increasingly elevated as the movie goes on. And it's a movie about alcohol, like uh, the highs and the lows of it. And it captures it in a really incredible way. And Mads gives the best performance I've seen him give. It is so incredible to see him in this role. Um, really emotional, really like uh, there, there's the, there's this sadness, but there's like this kind of warmth to it too, which we haven't really seen from him. He's kind of typecast as the villain a lot of times. And there's just like this kind of compassion that comes across uh, and the ending of this movie what he does in the final scene is one of the best things in movies this year. Like it is fucking incredible Um, in terms of what it means for the story and what it's trying to say, I think left me a little bit on the fence about the movie as a whole uh, and what it's trying to say about like alcohol and getting drunk and all these things. But to just see Mads perform his ass off in this movie and then knock it out of the park in the final sequence is incredible. Uh, St. Francis is a little kind of character piece. Oh, yeah. Came oh, out earlier in the year that we supported our local art, art house theater uh, with an on-demand rental that I think is worth checking out. Uh, the Bee Gees documentary I mentioned in an earlier episode really resonated with me. Um, Onward, the other Pixar movie <laughs> that's not nearly as good, I found solid. Um, Hamilton, hey, Hamilton, look at, look at that. yeah, Hamilton. Oh, uh, okay, that's gonna do it. Look, Hamilton was higher on my list than fucking Tenet. Okay, um, it was also higher on my list than Portrait of a Lady on Fire because it was released this year. Yeah, I mean that much is true, but <laughs> Hamilton wasn't on my like I I I will make no list with Hamilton on it. And uh, Birds of Prey, I thought was uh, pretty. Okay. I Shit, I fucked up my list. I meant to put Trolls World Tour at number one. Can we re-record this episode? I, before we wrap up, I wanted to look a little bit at like Letterbox because like that is what encapsulates a little bit a, a lot of what this stuff is kind of tracked and 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 how it lives on. Um, previous years, when tracking all the movies I watched in a year my list for the year was like around 60 or 70 movies. As far as we've been doing this podcast this year, my list was only like 36. Yeah. Mine was probably about half of what I usually see. Yeah. But if you look at my entire logged list of the year, I logged 173 movies this Mm. in 2020. Yeah. So, most of them well, were guess, not guess 2020 what, honey, releases. Guess what, honey? Hunter, how much did you log this year? You don't want to know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's too hard. No, you know who doesn't want to know um, is your girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> she, well, she does know. She's the only one who knows. Yeah. Because I've been ignoring her. Um, no, I, I think that while this movie, I haven't seen as many movies since we've been doing this podcast from this year. Uh, I think that... On the same token, I've seen less bad movies from this year than I have in a lot of other years. That's why I think that I have a really deep bench. Like, I read off all the way in my honorable mentions uh, up to One Night in Miami. I could go all the way down. Like, at number 27, I have Borat. And, like, that very easily could be my top 10. Like, I I think that all these really work really well. 
I like them a lot. Deepier. Um, Deepier. Deep I I love what you. This get. is the Miami Heat of uh, years. I love what you get from Letterbox when you pay for Pro. Yeah. All those sweet stats. This it episode is, is brought to you by Letterbox. It is sexy. Letterbox I, is a good website, man. Um, next week we're going to be touching on all those things that we watched that did not come out this year. Um, in our best movies, we watched first first watches Ooh. in 2020. Not movies, though. No, we're going to incorporate some the, other things if you the want. The best shit we saw. Um, that did not come out in 2020 mm-hmm. with a special guest. And then best after thing I that. I saw freaking MSNBC on the night that they announced Kornacki, bro. <laughs> best thing I saw was Lady Gaga at the inauguration. <laughs> and then uh, beyond that, we have a whole plan for you. We already announced the Nick Cage series, but we also said we're going to do Nomadland. We're going to do Minari. There's new movies coming out like Malcolm and Marie, Judas and the Black Messiah. Also, what about that uh, Bradley Cooper kitchen show? Are we going to watch more of that? Hey. Yes, we fucking are, bitch. We watched the we... first four eps. Four? No, three. wait. Three? I think three. we watched, yeah, we watched three, three before we even put on Tenet the other night. And honey. It was better than Tenet. <laughs> honey, it was hot. Bradley Cooper is unchained. Um, Please stick around for all of these great episodes. Recommend the show. Follow us. Email us donate thanks to all the donors for donating you make our world go round um and yeah stay safe stay sexy stay with bammy um we love you let us know what you thought of our list let us know if we missed anything thanks for listening Al- alternate title for and you can just fade out while i'm saying this alternate title for the bradley cooper uh, hot sexy kitchen show sex in the scampi goodbye